Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Lee in Washington, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, Alex Jones. I've been waiting a long time to talk to you. Anyways, I just wanted to say, um, I remember back in the day, uh, Y2K, the Bill Cooper incident, and you smoking to eat me, Joe Rogan. Now you lost your kids, and I'm so happy about that, dude. If I ever seen you in real life, I would smack the shit out of you. I uh, would we'll delay that because we can't have cussing. I've never taken DMT. <laughs> Michael, and I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn radio app. Search End of Days or go to michaeldeacon.com. If you care to interact with me or other listeners, this is a call-in show. Please feel free to call in whenever your heart desires. That number is 760-332-8724 or 760-332-8920. My guest tonight is James Fetzer. James, a former Marine Corps officer, has published widely on the theoretical foundations of scientific knowledge computer science, artificial intelligence, cognitive science, and evolution and mentality. He has earned his Ph.D. in the history and philosophy of science. He has received many awards and forms of recognition for his teaching and scholarship. McKnight Professor Emeritus at the University of Minnesota Duluth. He has also conducted extensive research into the assassination of JFK and the events of 9-11. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Strange, I'm not sure why you couldn't hear me there. Nonetheless, good morning and good evening. Here we are again like a big, happy, dysfunctional family. Thank you to those here in America and those who listen outside of America for listening to this program. So much news to get into tonight, the ever-so-popular doom and gloom News surrounds us tonight like a thief in the night. Here it comes. 
for those of us here in California, we are definitely cognitive of of all the news stories coming out. We are a rather paranoid bunch at this time. A lot of us are on the edge of our seats, really. My goodness. Let's see what's going on with our first guest here. I know he is awaiting. Jim, are you there? I am, Michael. I am here. Can you hear me loud and fine? Very, very clearly. Okay, perfect. Lots of folks out there, they couldn't hear me for some reason. Wow, that's very odd. But there's a lot of cyber warfare going on these days, and it's fairly astonishing. Yeah, that's another thing. That's what I've been hearing. But I'm glad everything is working out here. So, uh, Jim, how are you, by the way? I haven't talked to you in about a month now. Oh, I, I'm fine, Michael. Busy as can be. I'm I'm regularly doing about 10 hours of radio every week and then additional interviews like this one. So I have a show called The Raw Deal on Rents Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. I have a show called The Conspiracy Guy on prn.fm. That's Gary Knoll's network out in New York on Wednesdays from from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm doing two news shows, one an hour Monday mornings called the Goldfish Report, another two hours in the afternoon called Truth Versus News, spelled capital N-E-W dollar sign. And, uh, I mean, those are the basics, and then, then everything else just falls into place around it. Oh, I do regularly, too, the JFK show. Right. I'm able to be in two places at one time on Wednesdays because the show, The Conspiracy Guys, pre-recorded. And by the way, if anyone wanted to catch up, it's uh, archived at conspiracyguide.podbean.com. There have been about 45 of those altogether. I just began doing that this year. Are you still doing the show with the annoying intro? With the which? With, with the with the annoying intro that I made fun of last time. Uh, you'd have to remind me, Michael. Which oh I mean, no! It, I was doing regularly. <laughs> the, the I was doing a real deal. It was a video show. Yeah, it, it's the the one with the the dollar sign uh, with the with the goofy intro that I always laugh at. I don't know. Oh no! All right, it doesn't matter. It's just uh, I've always. It's not important. Yeah, yeah, I was doing a. Don't worry. I was doing a video show called The Real Deal. I mean, look, I, I had one radio show. Uh, if you go to radiofetzer.blogspot.com, 880 radio shows I was, I did, uh, before I went to the, to, to video and a show called The Real Deal where I did 240 before they caught up with us. The Real course, Deal. Yeah, they, they like actually that. severed the, the, the internet connecting cables from my producer. Three different times, physically severed them. Jesus Christ, really? Yeah, I know. That's and, outrageous. Uh, right, right, right. And, uh, I mean, since then I've been doing video interviews intermittently on the, uh, which you can, for the real deal with this classic intro, uh, which you can find on Gary King YouTube channel. And, and I know Gary well because of collaborative work we've done on JFK. We also do this, the new JFK show on Wednesdays at the same time that the conspiracy guys being broadcast out of New York. We're recording the video episodes of the new JFK show, which is now, my goodness, I don't know. We have 145 or more of those once a week. Oh my. And you can, and you can find them on the Gary King YouTube channel. Very nice. Now let's get into some uh, current ongoing issues here, Mr. Fetzer. This week, the North Korean foreign minister 
made some interesting comments, and so did our president. I guess we are in, again, another huge conflict here. Well, I mean, it's all uh, uh, manufactured because it turns out that the North Koreans have repeatedly uh, volunteered to surrender their their ballistic missile and nuclear program if we'll cease conducting uh, warlike, belligerent behavior toward them, including all these military maneuvers on their border. And, you know, the fact is that both the Obama administration and the Trump administration immediately rejected these overtures on the part of North Korea, which tells you something is completely different than what we're being told through the national media, which is everyone today, I presume, understands was infiltrated by the CIA beginning in the 1950s in what's known as Operation Mockingbird, and where even William Colby as early as... 1975 was reporting to Congress that the agency owns everyone a significance in the media. Then there wasn't an alternative media. The only reason any of us have any idea what's really going on is because of the Internet and the fact that uh, we're able to get out a lot of truth that the, the government and the agencies would prefer not be available to the public by way of the Internet. Here, here are a couple reports about this North Korean business. Yeah, go for it. Um, New York Times, January 10th, 2015. Uh, North Korea is offering to temporarily suspend nuclear tests in return for a suspension of the joint military exercises this year. Reuters, January 15th, 2016. North Korea on Saturday demanded the conclusion of a peace treaty with the United States and a halt to U.S. military exercises with South Korea and its nuclear tests. New York Times, March 8, 2017. Notice this is over a three-year span now. China tried unsuccessfully to calm newly volatile tensions on the Korean Peninsula on Wednesday, proposing that North Korea freeze nuclear and missile programs in exchange for a halt to major military exercises by American and South Korean forces. The <coughs> proposal was rejected hours later by the United States and South Korea. I mean, it goes on and on, Michael. I mean... The hypocrisy, threatening, threatening North Korea with annihilation. That's a form of genocide. The, it's ironic that Donald is making these statements at the United Nations because the United Nations Charter explicitly rules out genocide. In fact, is very particular about the circumstances under which one nation may attack another's, namely two, when it has the approval of the Security Council, which of course would never occur in a case like this, but also when there's an imminent threat against which a nation must defend itself. And they've been trying to, you know, pump it up as though this represented an imminent threat when nothing of the kind is the case. For, for among other reasons, we have lasers mounted on satellites in space that could shoot down any missiles fired by North Korea toward the United States. In fact, I'm convinced we've already taken out several of their missiles on the launching pad in order to embarrass them, Michael. And the Donald, of course, has also been trying to manipulate other countries into ceasing their trade with uh, North Korea. And there's a story I've been unable to verify claiming that China just ordered every single of North Korea's businesses in its country to close. That's very peculiar. I hope it's not true. It came from the Independent in the UK, however, which is generally speaking reliable. So we'll see. It's on shaky ground, but sometimes those stories are rather accurate. 
Yeah. But you know, the whole, the, the, the nonsense we've been getting this, this recycling of the Russian hacking meme. We know, for example, that John Podesta and Robbie Mook, who were Hillary's campaign managers, made up the Russian hacking meme within 24 hours of her concession speech. That was reported in the book 2017 this year, shattered by two investigative journalists who followed the campaign. Veterans, veteran intelligence professionals for sanity using the acronym VIPS, which includes Ray McGovern, William Benny, these are the best of the best, found that the files had been downloaded from the DNC server too fast to be Russian hacking and in Eastern time. Uh, Julian Assange and Craig Murray have both declared they know the source of the WikiLeaks revelation that he was not Russian and that Russian agents had nothing to do with the emails published. Seth Rich, IT guy for the DNC, a Bernie supporter who is disillusioned with the sabotaging of Bernie's campaign, appears to have given them to Assange by way of Murray and paid for it with his life. I mean, that was an heroic act. And now we're being told, I mean, this even appeared in the Wisconsin State Journal, that Russia was trying to hack some the electoral systems of some 21 states. You see, Michael, there was a major problem with the official account. How is Russia going to hack the U.S. election? Given that we don't actually have one election, we have each state conducting a separate election. <coughs> so you have to be hacking into 50 different state electoral systems. And they originally told the state of Wisconsin, I mean, this is just a, within the last seven days, that been an attempt to hack uh, our election here. <coughs> and when the state very reasonably asked for details, they changed the story and said, well, it wasn't actually hacking. It was uh, some kind of workplace office. I mean, this is getting ludicrous beyond ridiculous. They didn't actually, uh, Fed say Rus Russian hacking attempt didn't directly target Wisconsin election systems. Confusion swirled Tuesday about whether Russian hackers tried to access Wisconsin voter registration data in 2016 as new information from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security says the attempts instead were directed at another state agency. And it was the Department of Workforce Development. I mean, this is just ludicrous. And get this, the California Secretary of State has stated it's clear that DHS was wrong because the Russia did not hack the voting systems of California. He says, last Friday, my office was notified by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security that Russian cyber actors scanned California's Internet-facing systems in 2016, including... Secretary of State websites. Following our request for further information, it became clear that DHS's conclusions were wrong. In other words, they put themselves out on a limb here. It was a phony story to begin with. They could never substantiate it. They appointed a special prosecutor by the name of Robert Mueller, who'd headed, headed the FBI since before 9-11. He left after the Boston Marathon. He was there during the Sandy Hook event. That means this guy's a master at covering things up. And he was just supposed to, you know, siphon up any information that was contrary to this official narrative and make sure it didn't get out. <coughs> now they have found so little to substantiate non-existent hacking that they're going after Paul Manafort for business dealings he had with Russia before he even joined the Trump uh, campaign. And for absurdities on Facebook, I mean, we're now supposed to be concerned about some 300 or more ads that were put on R Facebook. Right. Mark Zuckerberg has been getting into it with uh, Donald Trump over Twitter. 
Yeah, but it's absurd. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. face, it turns out, look, I've got multiple reports about this. Yeah, the Daily uh, Beast the, has an article up there. It says Russians appear to use Facebook to push Trump rallies in 17 U.S. cities. Yeah, but it's it's all rubbish. A leak, here's leaked descriptions of infamous Russia ads derail collusion narrative because they showed support for Hillary Clinton. Uh, Russia foot, Facebook ads show support for Black Lives Matter and for Hillary. I mean, you, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, Russia funded Facebook ads back Jill Stein, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Is that bullshit, Jim? Well, it depends how you look at it. I mean, if the, this is all they've got. And they, see, none of these were state actors. This wasn't the Russian government. You could have private parties who wanted to support, or they could have made up and said they were Russian. But the point is, there's no evidence here. here here's a nice uh, report about it from Zero Hedge, a very good uh, source. Right. Congress relying on debunked guilt by association online tool to track Russian influence, as we previously warned. The latest McCarthyite scam called Hamilton 68 is increasingly serving as a go-to source for major media outlets and more disturbingly now even members of Congress. This week, Republican Senator James Lankford, Oklahoma, added another layer to the seemingly endless Russiagate conspiracies he claimed Wednesday during a hearing on threats faced by the U.S. that Russia is using the NFL anthem kneeling controversy to drive a wedge to to the American people. I mean, this is just oh ludicrous. Yes. I do believe there's something to the claim that the NFL business is being uh, supported by uh, uh, individuals like George Soros and Hillary Clinton and Obama hang holdovers and so forth who want to undermine Trump by stirring up as much, uh, you know, division in the country as possible. Uh, I have done a huge amount of research on Charlottesville, and the whole thing was completely contrived. Turns out that the uh, the mayor of the city had the Charlottesville police stand down, that the governor used the state police and the National Guard to channel the peaceful protesters who were objecting to the removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee into a direct confrontation with the Black Lives Matter and Antifa people, who even came in on the same bus paid for by George Soros, let me add. Uh, we also have, you know, regarding all the, the photos you saw of a car plowing into the crowd. That yeah. was complete, completely fabricated. The Photoshop. Yeah, it was all. Actually, the, literally it was Photoshop. But let me give you a couple of basics. There were, there were two cars. There were two different jar, Dodge Challengers. One had a black stripe up the middle. The other didn't. One had a sunroof. The other didn't. There were two different drivers. One, the Patsy, is a 20-year-old by the name of James A. Field who's diagnosed as a schizophrenic, supposed to be on antipsychotic medication, wears heavy prescription glasses. Then you have the guy who was actually driving the car, who oddly enough is identified as James G. Field, 32 years old, a, a military veteran who actually commands a reserve battalion in Ohio. And when you look at the images of the driver, it's clearly the 32-year-old military vet. It's not the 20-year-old schizophrenic who's driving the car. In fact, I was stunned when I saw the rapidity and control with which that vehicle was backed out of the collision, Michael. I mean, it was professional NASCAR quality driving. I, I could not have done what he did. This guy was extremely proficient. But get this. Here, this will cap it all. 
there were two or even three takes. You got one take where there's one vehicle only in the visual field coming toward the crowd. One vehicle, Dodge Challenger, nothing else around it. There's a second where there's not only the Dodge Challenger, but there's a black Toyota pickup just right beside it. And there's a third where the Challenger is crashing into the back of a, a white van that's parked behind a maroon van, which had been actually sitting in the intersection for five minutes before this event happened, where neither the maroon van nor the white van even had a driver. So I'm telling you, this is also outrageous when you look at the evidence. And uh, I even wrote to 75 members of the Department of History at the University of Virginia. I wrote to the president, to the provost, to the vice provost about this. I, uh, I'll, I'll pull up the letter I sent. I'm sure I can find it here. Uh, and uh, right. I wrote to the the board of visitors. These are like the regents. Understood, um, yeah. Yeah, about all of this. I wrote to three members of the city council about it. I think I've even dropped a note to the FBI about it. But the whole thing was completely, totally fraudulent. Uh, I mean, there were the, the, the letter was entitled uh, Three Studies of Charlottesville. Uh, two, two cars plus two drivers plus two takes equals totally fake. This is the specific letter I sent to the president, whose name is Sullivan. President nice. Sullivan and UVA admin. As it happens, I am a former Marine Corps officer who is visiting associate at UVA in 1977-78 and again is visiting professor spring semester 1984-85. Since my retirement from the Duluth campus of the University of Minnesota in 2006, I've been devoting myself to collaborative research on false flag events where patsies are blamed to create a pretext for actions that promote a political agenda. This is a rather specialized area of research which most faculty eschew. These studies reveal what we have been able to determine so far about the events in Charlottesville. I offer them in the context of the article by Patricia McCarthy on Charlottesville and its aftermath. What if it was a setup? I find this insulting to Mr. Jefferson's university, and I hope against hope that some of you will agree. Jim, James H. Fetzer, Ph.D., McKnight Professor Emeritus, University of Minnesota, Duluth, with my with a link to my uh, curriculum vita, which nice. you can find online. And, you know, I got one response, Michael, from a woman what who had say? a chair right. who said who said she was embarrassed that I had anything to do with the University of Virginia. Oh, how dare she? Well, I mean, isn't that something? How goddamn dare she say that to you, Jim? I mean, I was sending her three videos that, 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 that demonstrate that the whole thing was a fraud, and uh, she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, mm. give me, give me a break. Right. They're not even willing to look at these. I mean, unbelievable. That, that's that cognitive dissonance. Yeah, it is. It truly is, in my well, personal well, opinion. Well, let me give you just the titles of these videos so you can check them out for yourself. One All is right. entitled Charlottesville False Flag Theory, Something Strange is Going On. Now, that's only about 10 minutes long, but you'll already understand the sorts of things I'm outlining. The second is slightly longer, 15 minutes, uh, in, entitled, uh, well, I'm on the wrong, it, 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 it was for uh, Truth Be Told, uh, Charlottesville right. uh, uh, scam with Jim Fetzer and Dean Ryan. And the third is entitled The Real Deal, uh, uh, Jim and Ole on Charlottesville and Barcelona, because Ole, this is Ole Domegaard, 
who's very famous I'm, I'm guy so, you for know, cracking Jim, these kind of cases. Jim, I must cut you off there and just quickly say I'm so glad you brought up uh, Oli there because, you know, I did interview him not so long ago, just just a, uh, about a week ago, and, you know, he saw the new logo that I have on, on the website, and I, I think you could probably see it on Skype. He He had a big problem with that. I don't think he liked it very much. Uh, Jim, I just wanted to get your quick opinion. Do you think that logo is that bad? Well, let me go find it. I was there earlier because, as you know, I, I showed up two hours because of the time zone difference. Right. I thought we actually began 8 to 10 Central, but, of course, it's 8 to 10 Pacific. So let me go to your to your uh, Michael, Michael Deacon. MichaelDeacon.com, yeah. Dot com. And and take a look because I I didn't really pay a lot of attention to this at the time. I, I was kind of in shock. I mean, only oh yeah, because it's the all seeing eye. He didn't See, like that. Sort of, yeah, well, he didn't like that at all. Well, it's a it's a symbol that's associated with the Illuminati. See, that's true. Yeah, so right. I mean, that's why. I mean, it, yeah, he was a little spooked I, by I, it. I, I would probably recommend you you find an alternative that doesn't have the the sinister overtones of that particular symbol myself. But there it is. I oh mean, I, I know you, Michael. I know your dedication to the truth, to yes, exposing sir. right this deceit and deception. So very true. I'm less troubled than Oli. You see, who this is his first time being on with you, right? Yeah, it was his first time. Well. Yeah. Take it for what it's worth, but it is a symbol that's associated with the... That's very true. I understood. And, 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 yes. This is very interesting. Oh, hold, hold on. Jim, Jim, yeah. I, I, I got to cut you off one more time. I, I believe there's a phone call. I'm not sure if it's for you or if it's for me, but sure. let, let's take that call really quickly. Caller, you are on the line. What's going on? Hey, how, how you doing, everybody? How you, hey, Jim, how you doing? Good. Great. Thanks for calling. Uh, who's it's this? just God... Damn ridiculous, Jim. It's just goddamn Uh-oh. ridiculous. Hey, um, I wanted to ask you, how's Larry Rivera doing? Because I know he's been in Puerto Rico, and we're big fans of his. Yeah. And uh, I know you guys, um, we were watching and uh, listening to the latest the JFK show. Right, right, right. Uh, well, actually, the very latest is is with Larry all about Puerto Rico. He made it to Florida, I'm delighted to say. He happened to know somebody oh, great, who knew great. somebody. Yeah. He survived. He had sent me. I actually have a blog up on uh, on uh, uh, jamesfetzer.blogspot.com. It's uh, oh, let me see. Yeah, uh, and it includes uh, uh, a half a dozen or more photographs that Larry had taken. Uh, let me find it here. I guess it's September. Yeah, September twenty eighth. Larry Rivera, mm-hmm. Hurricane Blog, live from Puerto Rico. Okay, so this is dated uh, Thursday, September twenty eighth. Uh, and you'll see, you know, oh, there might be 19 photographs in all. Now, these were his personal experience. Larry was uh, living in an area that was at a higher elevation than most of uh, the area that was hit so hard. So what I did for the interview we did with uh, Larry last night, we normally would be doing this Wednesday, but there were, it was the last broadcast of Battle of New Orleans and New Orleans where where Gary King has frequently appeared, virtually a co-host. So I wanted him to have the opportunity to spend as much time with them on their final show. And we delayed it until Thursday, which worked out perfectly because Larry was then in the United States and could join us. So I asked Gary today whether it were up yet. It's not up yet, but I had Gary run 
at the beginning of the show featuring Larry, uh, some of the footage showing how so much of Puerto Rico was underwater. I mean, you know, the real horrible parts of it. And in fact, uh, I mean, the devastation has not only been unbelievable, but the Donald, mm. I mean, talk about blowing it big time. He, he's now mm. being, uh, being compared to W, who took 13 days to get around to checking out Katrina. Which is goddamn ridiculous. I know. He's not going to be there till Tuesday, which happens to coincide 13 days. Yeah. Uh, Larry is suspicious that because Puerto Rico during the primary, presidential primary, went for Marco Rubio overwhelmingly. I mean, Rubio beat Trump by over 60 points. It was huge for Rubio. He thinks that Trump may harbor some resentment. I wish I could tell you. Uh, I think that's wrong, but I can't tell you that. I can, can also add that I've been stupefied that the first thing Trump had to say about it was about the financial problems they have in Puerto Rico. You know, they've gone bankrupt. He's saying in Houston, well, they're in good shape financially. Florida, they're in good shape financially. But Puerto Rico's in terrible shape, and we're going to have to deal with that. I mean, imagine. This is a president of the United States. We got, what, three and a half million Americans in Puerto Rico that are in dire straits. I mean, no water, uh, no food. They can't, they can't even get the trucks that actually have the supplies around, around the island because the drivers are stuck with no mode of transportation to reach the trucks <laughs> that would bring help to those who most of need. So, Jesus Christ. Jesus he has vitiated any lingering support, I'm telling you. I know. I know. And mind you, mind you, I voted for Donald Trump. I mean, I could not have brought myself to vote for Hillary, who's such a corrupt person responsible for the slaughter of Libya, maybe the most humane society ever to manifest itself on Earth. Uh, the, the Benghazi thing was because Christopher uh, Stevens, our ambassador, did not want to send weapons from the Libyan stockpile to the rebels in Syria, but Hillary did. So she left them hanging out to dry. She told the general who could have come to their aid that they'd already been evacuated, which was false. It, you may not have heard, but when Gaddafi didn't put up a fight when the NATO invasion took place, though so it was a terrible, terrible disaster, really brutal slaughter. By the way, Jim, did you know that caller? No. 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 Yeah, th I, that I, was I, a rather strange individual there. I hope he seeks help. Well, is he still here? No, I. No, he well, he ran I away. He was. Uh, I thought he was expressing grief. I mean, you know. I don't know what was wrong with him. Yeah, he seems bizarre. disturbed. Well, listen, listen, Michael. Hillary uh, arranged to have Gaddafi brutally assassinated on his way to surrender to the United States. She specified a location and then had its convoy traveling under a white flag interdicted, and she had uh, Gaddafi castrated, sodomized with a bayonet, brutally murdered. This is Hillary Clinton. If if you know anything about Hillary, you know, you'd just as soon shot yourself in the foot as vote for Hillary. She's the most despicable human being oh my. among the most on the face of Earth. So, you know, Trump sounded good. He was talking about ending the wars in the Middle East, uh, reallocating our resources, not an isolationist, but a non-interventionist. That's what the country needs. I voted for him in high expectation. It turns out, by the way, that studies done by Boston University and the University of Minnesota have revealed that this was the key issue of the campaign. 
Hillary's got 43, I mean, excuses, and they grow every day. She's got another excuse why she lost every single day. <laughs> did you see that? Uh, last, did, did there, you see there were her? at least four, right. 43. But, but Michael, it all boiled down to the judgment made by these counties that had suffered casualties in these endless wars. Right. That I, they I agree. Judged that, that, that Trump was the less likely to continue the slaughter. That was the whole, uh, Alpha and Omega of the election. I, I agree. Right. And by the way, Jim, that one issue. Did you see her going on that little book tour? Oh, it's absurd. Oh Everything my goodness, she blamed everyone except herself. Of course, <laughs> and they ran a miserable campaign. That's and that's so why funny. they began the Russian hacking meme. You see, to divert oh, attention man. from the miserable campaign and from the contents of the WikiLeaks revelations, which lead directly to Pizzagate. And to John Podesta, who is right at the heart of it. I mean, it's outrageous. Listen, I just published my most recent on my blog is called Neelgate. Neelgate. The ultimate objective of the real perpetrators right. NFL dealing protest exposes the purple revolutionary. Yeah, let, let's talk about that. What, what exactly is your philosophical standpoint on the entire issue with these NFL players taking a knee? Well, I think that the players have the right to do it. I believe in freedom of speech, but they also have the right to be fired. I mean, you know, the the, the NFL is actually suffering mightily. There is a, I, I've got a, a story here about the percentage that are uh, declaring they're not going to watch. Uh, you know, they're going to cut down on how much they watch television anymore. I mean, this is this is going to be catastrophic. Uh, 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 the, the sports network has uh suffered tremendous uh a uh, drop already uh the the NFL the people are t burning their jerseys it's like when John Lennon said we're more popular than Jesus you know he he didn't mean to be taking a stand against religion he was just reflecting on the huge enthusiasm for for the Beatles but look, ESPN loses 621,000 subscribers. Worst month in company yeah, history. Not surprised. Poll, vast majority of Americans side with Trump on take a knee controversy. And the 64% of the respondents said, said, said yes, that players should stand and be respectful during the national anthem. 25% no and 11 were unsure. Here's an exclusive poll. Uh, 62% uh, of NFL fan, fans plan to watch less football. I mean, you know, this is going to have all kinds of consequences. I have a story here. I'm not able to uh, uh, verify myself, but it wouldn't surprise me, namely that the NFL's Oakland Raiders threw a game after the oh, white yes. quarterback. I saw that. I read that refused, article. Refused to kneel for the national anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, here's the deal about Neil Gate. This is by far the most interesting. It came from State of the Nation. They're suggesting that, in fact, uh, th th there's an extremely important aspect to this that is being ignored, that it's occurring by purposeful design, that the New World Order globalists know the best way to tear down a nation is to eradicate its history, its heroes, its culture, its traditions, its symbols, its values, its founding principles, its customs, its statues, its flags, and, of course, its patriotic sam songs and anthems. Just as the ISIS terror group destroyed Syria by blowing up mosques, stealing all the artifacts, knocking down statues, and looting the cultural centers, Soros and company plans to do the very same throughout the United States. There are literally hundreds of Soros-sponsored organizations whose primary goal is the destruction of American society. 
These quite deliberate, seditious acts are a precursor to the planned Purple Revolution. You may or may not remember when Hillary came out finally to give her concession speech, she and Bill, her husband, were both, he was wearing a purple tie, and she was wearing an outfit that was primarily purple, signaling a purple revolution means this is a popular uprising that actually is being managed behind the scene, analogous to what happened in Ukraine. And indeed, there are reports that say the same parties that were responsible for driving out the democratically elected president of Ukraine are involved in attempting to drive out the democratically elected president of the United States. And I mentioned this blog especially because I embedded in the blog the three videos that I sent to the 75 members of the Department of History at the University of Virginia. Word. Yeah, they're all there. Charlottesville false flag theory, the Charlottesville psyop with Jim Fetzer and Dean Ryan and, uh, and the real deal, Ole and Jim, actually, the way Gary titled it, Ole and Jim for, from Virginia to Spain. James, I gotta ask you one thing. Every time I bring you on here, you put over uh, other people that you know, you do shows with. I, I'm just wondering, are, are you putting me over, Jim? What's going on here? What? What? What, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? Am I putting you over? It's a, it's a joke. Uh, I'm just saying, if you're referring to me uh, oh, like you do well, others, it's a. I'm just kidding. I, I think you're a great host. You've heard me say that right here on the air. And, I know. I'm just. Uh, I'm just. I'm just fucking with you, Michael, Jim. Don't worry. Michael, I do such a staggering number of interviews. You know, I mean. My God. I know you're so busy. You're so busy. They number in the thousands, the interviews I've given. I mean, not my own shows. I'm not even counting. Right. I know. I'm I'm just teasing. Thousands of interviews I give on JFK, 9-11, Wellstone, Sandy Hook, Boston. (laughs) I mean, mean, you you name it. It's nonstop. It's nonstop. And by the way, Jim, I just want to say this. In, In 2017, I never thought the NFL would end up like the Emmy Awards, filled with political, uh, political agendas, I must say. Um, it's insane. The bottom line, I don't think Trump should have made an issue out of it. I don't think so either. I think he kind of screwed up. A week or ten days ago, there were five or six players who were kneeling. Now you have whole teams with their owners kneeling, see. And you got the LeBron James, you know, like maybe the best player in the NBA, calling the president of the United States a bum? A bum? <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, that's really not the kind of publicity that a president ordinarily wants. Now, Trump, Trump has been doing a lot of good things in, in dissecting or taking apart the mainstream media for its infiltration by the CIA, where, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, that's CIA 24-7, MSNBC, that's CIA light. I mean, these are all totally infiltrated by the agency. They, you know, uh, most Americans come home because they're so busy, uh, you know, working to keep right. food on the table, yeah. roof over their heads. They get their news in sound bites. And yeah. if they hear the same report from, say, ABC and MSNBC, they think it must be true. They don't realize that they, there's a script here. They're all on the same script, and that's why you're hearing the same thing. If you go to the alternative media now and were to hear the same thing, you'd have reason to think it might be true. But just because you're getting it from the mainstream means nothing anymore these yeah, days. That's I mean, true. Yeah, Michael, the journalism perfect example. Is a, journalism perfect is a dirty word now here in America. The perfect example is a Russian hacking meme. We've heard nothing We've heard nothing but the Russian hacking for eight, nine, ten months, nonstop, 24-7. And it was without any foundation, utterly baseless. 
They're only still talking about it because they still want to use it to try to tr- drive Trump out of office. They don't care about truth. That that has nothing to do with any of this. It's all politics and political theater, just as you see what happened in Charlottesville was political theater. And it's right. it's really embarrassing. Yes, and I'll just finish up by saying I don't really care if the NFL goes under. Let, let the players find an, another way to earn a living. These individuals, in my opinion, have been paid a shitload of money, and statistically, for NFL players, uh, either bankrupt or victims of financial stress within two years of retirement. It's That's kind of crazy once you look at the statistics. 78%. Jesus Christ. Well, it's interesting, Michael, that these are the most pampered members of society, right? They rank right up there with oh, movie yeah. stars. Oh, yes, they are very and pampered. And players and, and, you know... NBA players and in 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 Hollywood's A list. Let them work. Let them work a real job. Well, the fact is, you know, Americans. Look, we deserve some entertainment. We deserve a break, right? We can't just do nothing but work. Well, that's that's America's pastime, right? I think one of the reasons why you can have you know all kinds of commonplace discussions about sports and entertainment and movies is. Roughly speaking, we're all on a par with regard to judging sports, entertainment, and movies. Well, uh, you don't require special expertise to talk about them, even though we benefit from the professional commentators. But something right. we want out of sports and entertainment and movies is a break from politics. It's, we, we're getting politics 24-7. I don't think we need it. Uh, on the football field or we on really the basketball don't. court. We or, don't. No, we don't. Not at all. It's very amusing that Sputnik uh, published an article. And Sputnik News, RT, uh, Press TV, uh, these are among the most reliable international news services. They're far more reliable than the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN. Sputnik News put out an article, Collusion. Look no further than Clinton's cozy ties with Facebook, Google execs. As Russiagate enthusiasts wrestle with the explosive revelations that Russian organizations have done what every news organization in the world does, use the tools and features available on Twitter, it seems remiss not to recall the Hillary Clinton campaign's ill-fated collusion with Facebook and Google. I still want HRC Hillary Rodham Clinton to win badly. Sheryl Sandberg, chief operating officer of Facebook, wrote in an email to the Clinton campaign that Julian Assange posted on Twitter Friday. I mean, there's all kinds of collusion. I am still here to help as I can. Sandberg vowed before gushing that Clinton came over and was magical with my kids. Clinton wound up giving $55 million in revenues to Facebook by purchasing ads on Sandberg's platform, Politico reported. But get this, they have a picture of Hillary, and it's not Hillary. It's one of her doubles. This is, you know, I've discovered oh, she's got like six different doubles, yeah. You really they think so, Jim? Uh, yeah, Michael, you won't believe this. They, they, Hillary actually used doubles during the debates with Bernie Sanders and even with Donald Trump. Those were not Hillary. Those were doubles. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah. I've, I've heard and of I, this before, but with, with other different people. Now, let me tell you a source. Right. Uh, let's see. I, I have a video. I'd even forgotten that I put it up because I was going to travel out to California, and I was planning in, adv- in advance that I would like to give some talks when I was out there. Nice, yeah. But, yeah, but I recorded the show and, and wound up not actually giving it out there, but it's on YouTube. It's called uh, False Flags and Fake News, and if you uh, issues of identity. And if you go there, you'll see I go through 
uh, half a dozen or more of Hillary's doubles. See if you can find it right now. Do a search on false flags and fake news, issues of identity. Uh, because, look, not only did she use a half a dozen or more during the campaign, but in, in February, uh, a reporter for the New York Times reported Hillary's on Broadway, talking about Hillary coming to four different Broadway productions. And I studied the photographs they had, and not one of them was Hillary. So I wrote him and said, you know, it was a very interesting story you wrote, except none of those was Hillary Clinton. <laughs> oh, my. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I've got the story in there. If you find this, uh, false flags and fake news. It's a, uh, for, for, I, I, I just did it as a precaution and I fo- forgot completely that I had it up there, but there it is. And so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I show man. you all these doubles and you can tell. I mean, in some cases we have, you know, very specific information about how we know these are body doubles. The, the first one happened, Michael, when Hillary collapsed at the 9-11 memorial in New York. And, and the, the team, her, her campaign staff were evidently so concerned that apprehensions about her health were going to skyrocket that they sent out of Chelsea's apartment a woman that was taller, thinner, younger, far more friendly, cheerful, nuanced, you know. I refer right. to her as the Meg Ryan double. Cause oh, she the Meg Ryan, me, yes. Yeah, reminds me so much of Meg Ryan. This one was actually even picked up by USA Today, reporting that the Internet thinks Hillary's got a body double. Well, we think that because she does. Pablo and Escobar it, had a body double. Well, a lot of people have body doubles. Saddam had several. In fact, the guy who was put on trial and hanged was one of his doubles. It wasn't Saddam who was actually killed. My goodness. If you went bomber strike on 7 April 2003 with three weeks into the invasion of Iraq. And I know this because the pilot of the plane was the son of a woman who contacted me about it. Uh, Yvonne Wachter, her son Chris Wachter was the B-1 bomber pilot that took out uh, Saddam Hussein, his two sons, and 50 or 60 members of the general staff. I actually have a couple articles about it in the, 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 the book of mine, a collection of essays on diverse topics entitled, and I suppose we didn't go to the moon either. Right. Which includes uh, four chapters about the moon landing, and I can assure you we did not go. I mean, new proofs keep Prop, cropping up every day. Get this, the latest proof is that when you, there, there are like five or six different layers uh, of the atmosphere as you work your way out from Earth. And one's caught the uh, theosphere. And in the theosphere, the temperature is going to go up to 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit. And it turns out when you compare that with the melting point of the materials that were used to construct the the, the moon ship, it would have melted. It would have melted. None of them could sustain those temperatures. Yeah, it's funny you, you mentioned that, by the way. I, I just talked to Jay Widener as well, and uh, I mentioned you, James. Yeah. I put you well, over. I, I told him that he needs to do a document on you. Well, J- Jay's got a chapter in my moon book yeah, about about how it was uh, appears to have been filmed by Stanley Kubrick. Right. In return for financing, you know. That's interesting stuff, right? 2001 is Space Odyssey. That is wild stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Kubrick knew a lot. He he knew, I think he knew much more than he revealed. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And he was probably taken out because of that. Most likely, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's unbelievable and awful. Right. Yeah, if anyone wants to get more about, you know, when I allude to some of these subjects, I I bring together the best experts on these different subjects. For example, 
but the first book from Moonrock Books was supposed to be Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. And we have 13 contributors, including six current or retired PhD professors. Uh, we have Sophia Smallstorm, uh, Paul Preston, who is himself a school administrator, who is so disturbed by what he saw being reported from Sandy Hook because he's actually conducted drills of this kind before. He reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Administration uh, Education, all of whom confirmed to him that it had been a drill, that no children had died and that it had been done to promote gun control. I mean, I'm telling you, I bring together the best experts and we put together, you know, a, a study here that demonstrates one of them, Dr. Eowyn, by the way, who runs the Fellowship of the Minds blog, which is simply excellent, had already published 80 articles before I picked the best of the best to put into Nobody Died at Sandy Hook. I myself had published 30 articles. James Tracy had published one of the first serious articles about the, the press conference by the medical examiner, who turns out to be deeply involved in this thing. In fact, if you get the book, you'll find we have 50 photographs of them furnishing an empty house to serve as the Adam Lanza residence. I mean, it's obvious this was not actually a home that anyone had occupied. It has no personal artifacts. It has no photographs or drawings or paintings on the walls. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yes, it really is. And um, by the way... And then we have 50 photographs of them refurbishing the school, which had actually been closed by 2008. It was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards. It had been damaged by hurricane. There turns out to have been a big flood in that area of 2007. I think that was actually the capper and why they finally closed the school. Big flood. Right. And I did want to ask you about one other individual, by the way, James. And sure. I'm not sure if you are familiar with him, but you might be. His name is uh, Douglas Dietrich. Are, are you familiar with, with this individual? Uh, the name resonates. I know I've run across it before. Tell me about him and I'll say more. Well, he believes in all sorts of silly things like the Japanese had a nuke and we surrendered to them is some of the things he, he says. And I've gone into it with him, this individual in the past, and he's just someone who I believe is a compulsive liar. That's very strange. He can't really Uh, seem to tell the truth about anything. And he's gotten his facts wrong about myself. And he he thinks my father is Michael Aquino. And he's he's retarded. (laughs) That's very strange. I've had a similar encounter. Uh, There's an excellent website called Truth and Shadows that's uh, edited by Craig McKee, M-C-K-E-E, very fine guy, honest as the day is long. Yes, I, I and he put up he mm-hmm. he put up most recently an exchange he'd had with somebody who wanted to deny that nine eleven was an inside job, right? Oh my! And it was a lengthy exchange they had. I mean, went on and on and on. So he was recounting it just to give you know an example of an actual encounter with a real person in a state of denial. So it. it, it it would be inevitable that I'd post a lot about all this and lay out, you know, right. evidence we have at our disposal to show that 9-11 was an inside job. And part of my explanation is that uh, the way in which the Twin Towers was destroyed ha- had nothing to do with the Boeings or with jet fuel-based fires. In fact, it's very, very interesting, Michael. On the day of 9-11, Donald Trump gave an interview to New York Channel 9, 
and said, you know, the, the builders who constructed the towers work for me now. He said, there's no way a Boeing could have penetrated into those buildings. There's no way that jet fuel fires could have brought them down. He said, there had to be other factors involved, uh, of which we are at present unaware, bombs possibly. Well, the Donald was 100% right. He was the, you know, I mean, he was the first prominent personality to speak out about it on the very day of 9-11. That's true. Oh, he was. Although when I was at home, and one of our daughters, then living in Sarasota, Brayton, had called and said, turn on your TV, and here the North Tower was smoking. When the buildings came down, were blown apart, actually, I said to myself, this is impossible. I mean, I knew what I was witnessing was physically impossible. But, and I remember this so clearly, Michael, I thought to myself, I'll never be in a position to do anything about it. I mean, oddly enough, irony of ironies, I would wind up founding Scholars for 9-11 Truth in December of 2005. It would take off like a rocket. I'd wind up being flown around the world, for example, in December of 2006 to Athens to appear on a television program uh, run by the leading muckraker in Greece whose expose had brought down corrupt Greek governments. It was broadcast worldwide by satellite, three and a half hours. I mean, unbelievable. In uh, 2007, I organized the first uh, conference sponsored by scholars on the science and politics of 9-11 right here in Madison. 2008, I was flown to Buenos Aires to give lectures on JFK and, and 9-11. 2009, they brought me back to be the keynote speaker at an international symposium on 9-11 Truth and Justice held in the National Library of the Republic of Argentina. 2010, I organized a symposium on debunking the war on terror at Friends House in London. 2012, the, the Vancouver hearings, uh, you know, bringing together experts uh, uh, on these issues, especially where I myself am not. So in the process, we discovered actually that the evidence is overwhelming, that it was done with a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes, which brings me to the, the, the point here. Uh, we got one fellow who was posting in rebuttal that, that nukes don't exist. There are no nuclear weapons, you know, as though we haven't been living in a state of terror ever since they were first, you know, ignited at the Bikini Atoll and tested in Nevada. I mean, you know. As you say, there are people in t total states of denial who are real whack jobs. I mean, if you if you deny the existence of nukes, I mean, really, you're living on a different planet. Right, right. And one more under, uh, individual I did want to ask you about. Um, are you fam familiar with a man named Mark Dice? Well, that's very interesting. I, I was in New York uh, for one of the big conferences there. I'm pretty certain it was held at Cooper Union where Abraham Lincoln gave one of his historic speeches and afterwards i was on the radio debating mark dice on the radio you can oh, still find God. it if you go to if you go to 911scholars.org 911scholars.org you can listen to the debate we had i don't remember the exact date but it was uh, quite a long time ago oh he he's such a hypocrite by the way he used to talk so much shit about alex jones and now he has a segment there and of course he only tapes and uh, plays the footage of uh, specific individuals that he interviews, of course, well, it's it's. Uh, I think there are a lot disgusting. bigger frauds. I think there are a lot bigger frauds than Mark Dice. Oh, for well, example. right. He, he's, but let me give you let me yeah, give you a couple ahead. illustrations, Michael. Go ahead. Uh, Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky denies there was a conspiracy in the death of JFK. Would you believe one of his arguments is? 
And even if there had been a conspiracy, it wouldn't matter because there were no policy issues involved. Right. And so the war in Vietnam, dismantling the CIA, cutting the oil depletion allowance, cracking down on organized crime, uh, you know, uh, d- denying Israel the right to develop nuclear weapons. Oh, I mean, Jim, Jim, by the way, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Hold that thought. I think there's a call here for you. Caller, you are live on the air. What's going on? Well, hey, bro. my name is Richard Cole. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Did you have a question for Mr. Fetzer? Well, I'd just like to know what he uh, thought about uh, Douglas Dietrich. Oh, Douglas, Douglas Dietrich. I see. Uh, apparently, you have you had interviewed Douglas Dietrich back in 2012, James. I had. Well, yes, sir. I interview a lot of people. What was I interviewing him about? <clears throat> yeah, Is good. it on Radio Fetzer? If you go to Radio Fetzer dot com, Douglas Dietrich. Look, we find Captain him? Fetzer, I know what you interviewed him about. Tell Captain me, Captain Fetzer, because I'm a Marine too. All right. I am tired, and I have been going through this for over a year now. This is this is bigger than you understand involving well, Douglas Dietrich. Well, enlighten me. What what what's your point? My point is that this is an an ongoing thing, with Douglas Dietrich, because he has now gone so far as as to. I'm going to go there and see if I can find the interview. <clears throat> well. What's that? Go ahead, tell me, tell me, tell me. Yeah, we're waiting for you, buddy. Go ahead. Well, he has he has gone so far as to have uh, identity theft on the part of myself and the part of John Lillier. Now, John Lillier is a former special forces person, and he's also retired from the National Archives and Records Administration. Okay, now this is a very serious situation because now we have Dietrich who claims he is a U.S. Marine and he was never a U.S. Marine. And we have established through the Freedom of Information Act that he is lying. And well, I know. It, well, why know? Why, why is he significant enough that it matters? I mean, I'm just curious. I'm looking he's at significant enough that it matters because he's continuing <laughs> to do this, and he is, and he has with his friend, one of his friends, has also uh, revealed information. He is, he has, he has revealed information <laughs> regarding our personal identifying information on the internet, and he has done it. And he's continuing to do it, okay? Well, what's this huge scandal we just had with this credit thing? Uh, it's revealed everyone's it's social security thing. It's not a credit thing. This is a personal thing. And let me tell you something else. The, the point I'm making is that the he's... VA, re- the VA Inspector General's office is investigating him. Good. Okay? Good. And his buddies. So e- Equifax. Equifax. Yeah. Stolen valor is no, a serious crime. No. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that because Equifax. I know it has not. Is, I know it has nothing to do with that. And you're fixated on on Douglas Dietrich, but it seems to me that, however well founded your concerns, he's a very narrow ca- case. This is a very small issue. I know it's important to you, uh, but the point is that people are being hit with all kinds of more serious forms of abuse by Equifax and the government itself and the surveillance society. 
I just don't understand your preoccupation with this guy. I mean, he's a bad guy. There are a lot of bad guys out there. And I was just about to explain how Noam Chomsky is one of them, and that's a much bigger bad guy right. than Douglas Dietrich. So I appreciate your calling in. Good luck with ex- nailing Douglas Dietrich. It sounds like you're on the job. Good luck with it. Yes. Th- thank you for the call, by the way, and w- I'll talk to you very soon, sir. Yes. Unfortunate case there. Yeah. Well, Chomsky insists, you know, and he said with regard to 9-11, he thought it was most unlikely that there was any conspiracy, you know. That's, I mean, Chomsky. Now, if you go online and just look at Fetzer on Chomsky, you'll find two interviews I gave where I was talking about Chomsky and his attitude toward JFK and toward 9-11. The first is right. very short, less than 10 minutes by Snowshoe Films. And what's interesting about it is when I attribute to Chomsky one of these views I'm just sketching, they go to Chomsky saying exactly what I'm attributed to him as having said. The other is lengthier. In both, I get into his views about the nature of language, which are roughly speaking uh, upside down because he thinks syntax is fundamental, whereas uh, so that, you know, he believes everyone has an innate inborn syntax or syntactical ability, which in, in fact Syntax is a late development. You have to acquire a lot of words, which which presuppose concepts for which the words stand before you need to organize them in a manner that's uh, that generates a syntax in a crude way. So there are three levels of language, pragmatics, which has to do with the use of language, you know, in interactions and then semantics, modeling the meaning of the words that are used in those exchanges. And then through the syntax, how the words are organized to create sentences. And Chomsky, roughly speaking, has it inside out because <clears throat> really it's pragmatics that's fundamental. Uh, the, the whole theory of language he advocates is, is hopelessly inadequate. Because what you need is to stop with, start with a broader notion, not of language, but of signs, things that stand for other things in some respect or other. Thus, as a photograph, a drawing, a map can stand for something because it resembles that thing it stands for. Uh, with regard to certain features, you have a map of a certain scale and so forth. You know how to meet, read the map. You know how it resembles the terrain or whatever. And then, then there are... Uh, indices, which are causes or effects, you know, you encounter ashes or heat, uh, those stand for fire, a fire stands for ashes, heat, burning things and so forth. Sometimes you have signs that require an expert to diagnose, such as red spots in an elevated teach, uh, temperature may require an expert to diagnose, for example, as the measles. Uh, and the third is symbols, which are uh, uh, only habitually associated with that for which they stand. Uh, <clears throat> compare the difference between a, a, a statue or a painting of a horse, which looks like a horse, or footprints uh, in the mud or recent droppings from a passing of a horse. Those are causes or effects of a horse. But the word horse doesn't look like and isn't a cause or an effect of a horse. Once you begin looking at uh, communication between organisms in terms of signs, you realize actually evolution has produced a, a series of organisms that have increasingly sophisticated capacities for the use of signs where human beings are by far the most extensive, especially in relation to the use of symbols by these elaborate systems of signs that are merely habitually associated with that for which they stand. I give a brief critique of Chomsky's views in those interviews, but I have <clears throat> done a lot about 
uh, evolution language signs because the nature of mind, minds are best understood whether you're talking about human minds, animal minds. <clears throat> Even you talk about the brain of a bird, you know, somebody being a bird brain. Well, birds actually have minds because they're sign-using systems. Things stand for certain other things for those for birds even that affect their behavior. Even a spider, a spider will leap on the image of another spider on a, on a cathode ray tube, for example, mistaking it for a spider, which shows he takes the image of the spider to be a real spider, and he thereby commits a mistake, which I have suggested in my work as a criterion, a way in which you can tell whether something possesses a mind. Is it capable of making a mistake? And I have a lot of work on this in artificial intelligence, cognitive science, the most important in relation to the evolution of mentality from, from animal mind to the higher primates to human minds is entitled the evolution of intelligence or humans, the only animals with minds. Right. And since we were talking about 9-11, and of course, I must ask you once again about bin Laden, uh, this brings me to another recent development just this Monday, Robert O'Neill of the now famous SEAL team, he was on a program. Uh, he went, he went on a, a comedy show called the Artie and Anthony show. Uh, Anthony Akumia asked Mr. O'Neill about it and he gave his account. And, um, I just wanted to ask your opinion on one Mr. O'Neill. Do you believe he did in fact shoot bin Laden or has bin Laden been dead since the early 2000s? Osama bin Laden died on 15 December 2001. He was buried in an unmarked grave in Afghanistan in accordance with Muslim traditions or local obituaries at the time. Even Fox News and CNN both published bin Laden reported dead on the 26th of December 2001. Nick Kohlerstrom, uh, a noted historian of science from the UK, who's also the leading expert on the London 77 subway attacks. His book, Terror on the Tube, is now in its third edition where he cracked the case by discovering that the four young Muslim lads who were being held responsible for the bombings hadn't been able to arrive at the tube stations on time because the train from Luton they would have had to have taken to get there had been canceled that day. So they weren't even there. Apparently they were talked into playing roles in what was supposed to have been a drill. There's actually a brilliant expose of the whole thing, how the drill goes live. Right. The drill being at the very tame tube stops in the same vicinity of Tavistock Square where the bus was bombed. Uh, a fellow named Peter Power, who represents some kind of quasi-public-private uh, entity, organized the drills. He was the key player in the whole thing. It was ridiculous. If, the, if, the, if it had happened the way that the government claimed, then the explosions in the, in the carriages would have blown the floors down and outward. Instead, they're blown up and inward, indicating the explosives were underneath the carriages, not inside of them. In, in any case, Nick has published an article entitled Osama bin Laden 1957 to 2001 on my blog. You can find it under that title. Nick Kohlerstrom, Osama bin Laden, uh, 1957 to 2001. <laughs> Osama was even working for the CIA. He was Colonel Tim Osman That's in true. the CIA. Shortly before his death, an official from the agency visited him in a hospital in Dubai where he was undergoing treatment for his kidney problems. 
he had to have dialysis and you know it's tough to get those dialysis machines in and out of those caves in Afghanistan. He was actually instrumental in getting the Stinger missiles into the hands of the Mujahideen to drive the Soviet Union out of Afghanistan. He was an important player. When they made the film with Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts entitled Charlie Wilson's War, they gave that role to a, an Israeli arms dealer, but in fact it was Osama bin Laden who played that key key role. That it makes no sense. Too, too but, irresistible yeah. to Barack Obama to resurrect him and kill him again and to enhance his prospects for re-election. The whole SEAL team, most of them were killed. The, the, Osama was not in the village. No one had ever seen him in the village. The man whose image was broadcast holding a clicker in front of a TV was not Osama bin Laden, but the owner of the compound, who was someone completely different than Osama bin Laden. So the guy, the guy who claims to have shot Osama is simply blowing smoke. I mean, it's ridiculous. It just sounds ridiculous. I mean, they, they shot up the body. And then they threw it in the ocean. I, I just yeah, they claimed it was in accordance with Muslim tradition. But that sounds so stupid, by the way. Uh, well, it's disrespectful of the body because you know the that, that's the, the that's the dumbest thing I've ever the dumbest thing I've ever heard, James. I mean, how they were afraid that they would cause some sort of national security issue. But I mean, how much more can we piss off the uh, the Muslim nation? Uh Michael, it's real simple. It wasn't Osama. Ridiculous. This, this is a, atrocious. There were some Photoshop. They did take some actual photographs of Osama and then make him all gory as though he'd been shot up. But we've uncovered that. When I was, you know, writing the, the, the scholars for 9-11 Truth, you can go to the website and check out our press releases. There was one in 2005, as I recall where I contacted experts on whether these new videotapes, audio tapes, were actually Osama bin Laden. We had the leading expert on Osama verify these were not Osama bin Laden. I mean, this is the kind of thing the CIA does. If you go to Nick Kohlerstrom's blog there uh, on my website, you'll find photos of the fake Osama. In fact, David Ray Griffin, who's uh, the dean of 9-11 studies, he now has, I think, 13 books on 9-11. The latest, by the way, is entitled Bush and Cheney and how they destroyed the United States and the world by their abusive position. It's an excellent book. I'm halfway through, and I give it very high marks, simply excellent. The chapter about subverting the Constitution is completely brilliant. What was the name of this book, James? I'm, I'm sorry, I missed that. Bush and Cheney. Bush and Cheney, okay. Yeah. Amazon.com, you can find it easily. Nice, nice. And I'll be doing, I'll be doing an interview with David, uh, about it when, uh, as soon as I finish, but I've been distracted by Charlottesville, for example, where I'm putting together a book on Charlottesville. I have like about 15 contributors already. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were doing oh, that. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a humdinger. I mean, it just takes it apart piece by piece. But by the way, uh, Jim, before we, we get carried away here, I did want to ask you another thing. Do you still think Michelle Obama is a man? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Oh, President. how dare you? <laughs> how goddamn dare you, Jim? Really, though? You, you really believe that, Jim? Yeah, of course. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Why, why, though? It's a transgender. Don't you remember? Even, uh. Tell me, though, Jim. Do you, even, uh, even, uh, you know. Is it because of that photo? That wonderful woman, uh, who, you know, during, during an interview shortly before her death from this very bizarre, uh, tracheotomy thing, uh, Joan Rivers, you know. 
she was interviewed to ask, are we ever going to have a gay president? She said, well, you know, we already do. And of course, oh Michelle, my. everyone knows she's a tranny. Oh and my. the reporter was just, was just dumbfounded. He said, what are you saying? A tranny, a transgender. Michelle is, everybody knows. Are you sure she just doesn't have an oversized clitoris? No, 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 no. No, that she was playing football. She was playing football for her o- Oregon State before she transferred to Princeton. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh 100%. my goodness, uh, Michael! I've never seen that. Princeton. Uh, you know, I'm not going to joke about anything like this at all. I anyway. understand. I mean, my, it's right. my my duty. What I have been doing since I retired in 2006 is take all those scholarly abilities I acquired and honed. Not only my undergraduate at the number one ranked university in the in the world in philosophy, math, and physics, which was Princeton when I was an undergraduate, uh, then four years in the Marine Corps as a commissioned officer, resigning as a captain to enter graduate school and earn a PhD in the history and the philosophy of science. Thirty five years, right? Offering courses principally in logic, critical thinking, and scientific reasoning. Publishing two dozen academic scholarly books. Publishing three more, my my latest straight scholarly book is entitled uh, The Place of Probability in Science with Ellery Ells, now deceased of the University of Wisconsin-Madison Understood. in 2010. That's why you're an affiliate, Jim. You are backed by the facts. Well, you see, you take somebody who actually is a professional scholar and you put them work on things like uh, 9-11 or JFK or Wellstone or something. The result is totally different than you take somebody who has no scholarly background. They don't know That's how true. to proceed. What, right. My, my, my post-retirement career, Michael, has been devoted to taking conspiracy theories from theories in the weak sense of rumors, conjectures, or guesses to conspiracy theories in the strong sense of empirically testable explanatory hypotheses. And we've done it again and again and again. I mean, with great success. I agree. And, you know, a lot of people think these things are unsolvable. Take, for example, uh, uh, JFK. You know, we know, uh, uh, there are many candidates, uh, for who killed JFK. You hear the CIA. You hear Fidel Castro. You hear the mafia. Uh, you hear Israel. Uh, you, you hear a whole lot of theories. Well, what I do is do the research that enables us to sort them out. Once you discover that there are 15 indications of the Secret Service setting him up for the hit, that the body was stolen from Parkland and actually physically altered at Bethesda, that the x-rays were changed, uh, once you understand that the whole movies of the assassination were all appropriated and revised, and you have to ask yourself, well, could the mafia have, have influenced the Secret Service to set him up for the hit to reorganize a sequence of vehicles and to put the president out first? Uh, could the KGB have, have got its hands, extended its reach into Bethesda Naval Hospital to alter the body physically or change the x-rays? Could, uh, could, uh, could, uh, uh, Fidel Castro have, have got a hold of the Zapruder film and altered it? I mean, it just becomes obvious that many of these candidates cannot possibly have have covered up the assassination of JFK as was done in this case, which we've documented in spades. I, I mean, my first three books on JFK, Assassination Science, Good 1998. Stuff, by the way. Really yeah. like your JFK uh, material. Mur- Murder in Dealey Plaza, 2000, The Great Zapruder Film Hoax, 2003. I brought together the best experts in the world. I, I had, in fact... 
a world authority on the human brain, who is also an expert on wound ballistics. I had a PhD in physics, also an MD and board certified in radiation oncology, the treatment of cancer, using x-ray therapy, so he's an expert in the interpretation of x-rays. Uh, a physician who was actually in trauma room number one when JFK's moribund body was brought in and then two days later was responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin, a, a legendary photo and film analyst, another PhD in physics, this time with a specialty in electromagnetism, properties of light and of images of moving objects, who did brilliant work exposing the internal flaws in the excellent version of the Zabruder film, which is about 98% technically perfect. But where when they revised the film, and they did so very extensively, where I estimate we have 487 frames available today, but they took out about 100 more frames of the, the, the motorcade turning from Houston onto Elm because the driver swung out too widely and had to kind of back up to get in line. That's a, a hundred frames there. And it, see, just, just talking about five seconds at 20 frames a second, actually 18.3. Okay. And then actually the driver pulled the limousine to the left into a halt to make sure he'd be killed. And a whole lot of things happened there. Not only was he hit in the back of the head and slumped forward, Jack eased him up, was looking him right in the face when he was hit in the right temple by a frangible or exploding bullet that set up shock waves that blew his brains out the, to the left rear with such force that when they hit Officer Bobby Hargis riding there, he initially thought he himself had been shot. Not only was Jack hit twice in the head during that limo stop, but in addition, Hargis parked his bike, got off, ran between the two limos, which he couldn't have done had they been in motion, up to the grassy knoll. Officer Douglas Jackson on the right-hand side actually motored up the grassy knoll until his bike fell over and proceeded on foot. Five agents got out of the Secret Service Cadillac and surrounded the presidential limo. One took a chunk of skull from a little boy and threw it in the back seat. I've been unable to accommodate all these activities in less than 20 seconds, and again, that's 400 more frames. So, right. you know, actually, if we had the whole film, it would be about a thousand of which we only have 487. Frames. Yes. And you've done an extensive amount of research into the whole JFK situation. And speaking of which, we're very close to October. And I've been saying this to you multiple times now. Will we get the October surprise? Will President Donald J. Trump finally, finally release those JFK files? Well, you want to bear in mind that the, the, the deal is that the Warren Commission had them all sealed for 75 years. Correct. And the reason the reason for that is that's the average lifespan of an American. So the idea was supposed to be that no one who was alive at the time would be alive when the files were released. But after Oliver Stone released his magisterial film, JFK, uh, there was such a resurgence of interest in the case that the Congress passed a JFK Records Act that created a five-person civilian panel that was entrusted with the responsibility of declassifying documents and records from the CIA, the ONI, the Secret Service, the FBI, and so forth, where only the president could overrule them. Now, George H.W. Bush, which was who was president at the time, former director of the agency, who was, by by the way, himself deeply involved in the assassination, adamantly opposed it, and when it passed over his opposition, refused to appoint the members, which had to await 18 months for the new Clinton administration to come in, get organized, make the appointments. They de declassified 60,000 documents, even they, they were beginning to declassify them before I published Assassination Science in 1998. 
so that one of their very fir- the first discoveries that emerged was that Gerald Ford, who of course was uh, one of the two House members, along with Hal Boggs, who were on the commission, uh, as well as two senators, Richard Russell and John Sherman Cooper, and then uh, the two civilians, supposed to be civilians, except one is Alan Dulles, hardly a civilian, whom Jack had actually, you know, retired with fanfare from the CIA, and the other was John J. McCloy, our former high commissioner to Germany. Well, let me tell you how, and, and former CEO of Chase Manhattan Bank, let me tell you how bad it was. John J. McCloy was at the home of Clint Murkison uh, Sr. the night before the assassination at the ratification meeting, which was also attended by Richard Nixon, J. Edgar Hoover, George Brown, Brown and Root Heavy Construction, uh, Madeline Duncan Brown, who was a mistress of Lyndon, who bore, they began an affair in 1948. She bore him a son, Stephen, in 1950. She was invited to many events. She thought this was uh, probably in honor of J. Edgar Hoover. Lyndon showed up late in the evening. Uh, these heavy hitters, in, including John J. McCloy, right, uh, right, right. In, including J. Edgar Hoover, they all disappeared into a boardroom for 15 or 20 minutes. And when it broke up, he, Lyndon strode toward her. She thought he was going to whisper sweet nothings in her ear instead of told her in a right. hate, hateful tone of voice that after tomorrow he wasn't going to have to put up with embarrassment from the Kennedy boys any longer. That wasn't a threat. That was a promise. He actually called her the following day and told her the same thing. They had a rendezvous at the Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas, New Year's Eve. This is just six weeks later. And Madeline confronted him with rumors rampant in Dallas at the time that he'd been involved since no one stood to gain more personally. Lyndon blew up at her and told her the CI and the oil boys had decided the Jag had to be taken out. Yes, it's it's a really fascinating uh, case there, what, what, what's been reported and, uh, I had over 100 conversations with Madeline, including lunch with her in Dallas, where she was puzzled why John Connolly had replied when asked to describe Linton, Lyndon that that would take every adjective in the dictionary. And I explained to Madeline that's because he had so many strengths for good, but also so many for evil that oh for every positive attribute, there'd be a negative one. So it would take every adjective in the dictionary to describe him. Understood. And and going back to the whole drama with, with Pizzagate, there's been some really strange stories coming out, not with just Pizzagate, but rather uh, there was a man who avoided rape charges after a prosecutor says an 11 year old consented. And it's it's really disgusting. Uh, French. That's Poss- absurd. Eleven yeah. year old can't consent. It's called statutory rape. If you're below the age of consent, you it's it's automatically a a felony yes it sits here it says here that french prosecutors have decided that sex between an 11 year old and a 28 year old man was consensual prompting outrage across the country and rightfully so and of course the man will only face the charge of sexual abuse of a minor which carries a sentence of five years in prison rather than rape because he had not physically forced uh her to have sex with him and that's, well, it's just that's, absurd. That's just insane. absurd. So if, if you can lure a little kid into having sex with you, you can't be charged with rape. That's why, that's oh, why man. statutory rape is a crime. That's why the, having sex with a, someone below a certain age, you know, I think it's generally 16, uh, is, uh, is a crime. Forget building a wall around Mexico. They need to build a wall around that country just immediately. That, that's disgusting and vile. You know, Michael, I was thinking we were going to spend a lot of time on JFK and. Oh, we could, we could talk about JFK, don't worry. Well, no, I just for a few minutes. 
Yeah. I, I, I was looking at how Wikipedia, you know, in their thumbnail sketch, you got these photographs, Lee Harvey Oswald. What's going on? Armed Force Officer. Here's their description. Lee Harvey Oswald was an American former U.S. Marine who assassinated United States President John F. Kennedy on November 22nd, 1963. Born October 18th, 1939, New Orleans, Louisiana. Died November 24th, 1963, Dallas, Texas. Spouse Marina Oswald Porter. Married 1961-63. Cause of death, abdominal gunshot wound from Jack Ruby. Buried November 25th, 1963, Shannon Rose Hill Memorial Park, Fort Worth. Children, June Lee Oswald. Audrey Marina Rachel Oswald, who I think goes by Rachel, June and Rachel. But here's what it should say. If this were accurate, it would be Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, enlisted by the Office of Naval Intelligence while undergoing Marine Corps recruit training in San Diego, uh, was given foreign language training in Monterey in 1958, stationed it at Sugi, our most secure base, where he was a radar operator for U-2 overflights, deflected to the, so, defected to the Soviet Union at the request of the CIA to bring the information about the altitude of the flight so the Soviets could shoot it down, which led to Khrushchev, who knew these things were taking place, to denounce the United States for spying on the Soviet Union, which Eisenhower denied, and then Khrushchev was able to produce the pilot, Francis Gary Powers, and parts of his U-2 plane, uh, returned to the United States, was greeted by CIA threat company, not treated as a traitor, given money to relocate, wound up in New Orleans, where he was being given the the, the false identity of a pro-Castro communist uh, sympathizer, to set him up for the role of the patsy in Dallas, where uh, the initial investigation by Wagoner Carr, the t- attorney general of Texas at the time, discovered immediately that he'd been working as an informant for the FBI, that his informant number was 70, 179, and that he was being paid right up to the time of the assassination, $200 a month. By the way, Kennedy but, knew he was being sandbagged, didn't he? I'm sorry? I said Kennedy knew he was being sandbagged basically by his administration. JFK? Right. I think they knew he was pretty much inexperienced. The the CIA, it seems like all these people were no, in war I mean, with him. That, 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 that's what happened with the Bay of Pigs, you see. Right. I mean, that was yeah. a bait and switch. That actually was planned. Nixon was the point man in planning yeah. the Bay of Pigs. Right, the actual, I'm, right. I'm referring the to the Bay of Pigs. The advisor for the agency was George H.W. Bush. It was... Codename Operation Zapata. That was the name of the Bush family drilling oil drilling company. If if it had been a success, I expect Zapata would have had the concession to drill all over the Caribbean basin. It was a fiasco. In fact, the uh, CIA had learned that Castro already knew the date of the invasion because the Soviets had acquired that information and shared it with him. So right. Everyone knew we were coming except for the commander-in-chief who was left in a state of ignorance. They thought, uh, uh, by the way, also two of the ships were rechristened. One was Houston, the other Barbara, right before. I mean, this is George H.W. Bush writing his signature on the Bay of Pigs invasion. Uh, they expected that, you know, when Castro rounded everybody up, that, that instead of taking egg on his face, that Jack would send in the Marines. That's what they were counting on. Instead... He accepted responsibility, said it had been a mistake, had Bobby and Maxwell Taylor investigate what happened, and they discovered that the CIA had misled him deliberately, that it was a bait and switch. He immediately hi- fired 
Richard Bissell and, and Charles Cabell, the two deputy directors, where Cabell was a lieutenant general of the Air Force, whose brother, Earl, just happened to be the mayor of Dallas. And when you talk about these new releases, and I never got back to them, Michael, but the point I was making is right. we had 60,000 documents. This is, uh, you know, billions of pages already released long since. So what we're talking about is just the release of additional files that have been held back illegally against the law they have been held back there's one particularly important file about a guy by the name of george joanitas who was a psyops director for the cia was involved in both jack and bobby's death and they have withheld that document they don't want to release it but one document that has slipped through the cracks is that earl cabell then the mayor actually joined the cia in 1957 by the way didn't the discovery channel put out something about the JFK assassination not too long ago. Well, the major networks put up untold nonsense. I mean, let me give you one illustration. ABC, I think I described it at the time as spectacular disinformation. The Discovery, the History Channel. The History Channel actually banned the last three episodes of The Men Who Killed Kennedy. Really? Uh, yeah, seven, eight, that. nine. Seven involved me and my colleagues in discovering, you know, the altering of the x-rays and all that. I was on to... Oh, that's right. You were on there, right? I was featured to talk about the 15 indications of the Secret Service complicity and so forth. The second was about the love affair. This was a relationship that Lee Oswald had with Judith Very Baker. Her name was then Judith Very. Uh, she was a young high school student who had been lured down to to New Orleans with the promise of entering medical school without having to go through college by Alton Oshner, who was the head of the American Cancer Society, very big wig in New Orleans. And I believe he was with Tulane at the time. And she was brought down there to work on the development of a rapid-acting cancer she had done research and had been able to induce cancer in laboratory rats in seven weeks, which is like a, a fraction of the time that the leading experts in the United States had been able to do the same. So they were very eager to get involved. She was working with David Ferry uh, and, and Mary Sherman, who was a doctor under the supervision of Oshner, but they were never supposed to mention his name or in contact. And they used to talk about their names, Mary, Ferry, and Vary involved in all these uh, experiments and developing this rapid-acting cancer, which, by the way, appears to have been used on Jack Ruby to shut him up because he was talking about Lyndon Johnson as having been responsible for the assassination, just have had so many others who knew Johnson up close and personal. Madeline wrote a book about it called Texas in the Morning. When they'd have an affair in one of these hotels, he'd swing open the windows and just take in the, the air, the fresh air, and say, bellow up, gotta love Texas in the morning. <laughs> well, she used that as the title of her book. Oh, my. Uh, Billy Saul Estes, a Wheeler dealer, made tons of money for John Connolly, Lyndon Johnson, and so forth. Talks about uh, how uh, uh, Lyndon even sent his chief administrative assistant, Cliff Carter, down to Dallas to make sure all the arrangements were in place for the assassination. Bar McClellan was working for this guy, uh, Ed Clark, who most powerful attorney in Texas who worked with Lyndon in setting up the assassination and the cover-up. McClellan was a part of the firm. E. Howard Hunt, who was a, a really imaginative guy in planning, you know, schemes for the CIA, was a backbencher in Dallas, gave his son St. John, whom I've met, 
uh, his last confession published in Rolling Stone in which he enumerated the chain of command went from Lyndon Johnson to Cord Meyer, who was then in charge of covert ops for the CIA, to David Atlee Phillips in charge of Western Hemisphere to CIA, to William Harvey, who was in charge of assassinations, to David Sanchez Morales for the Dallas Op. Right, and we haven't even really covered um, no, no, the no, photo we have, of, of... Roger Stump has a book about right. it, you know, the case... Uh, who killed Kennedy? The case uh, against uh, Lyndon Johnson. And he's absolutely right. Phil Phil Nelson, by the way, has done the most thorough work on Lyndon Johnson. His background is upbringing and how unscrupulous, but ruthlessly ambitious he was. And uh, you know, innumerable scandals associated with him. In a book entitled uh, uh, "LBJ: Mastermind of the JFK Assassination." Right, and right. Lyndon, Lyndon was the pivotal player. In fact, he forced himself on the ticket in 1960 in L.A. Jack had already extended the invitation to be his rainmate to Stuart Simon in Missouri, but gave him overnight to think about it. Meanwhile, Bobby went to the Johnson suite and, as a formality, invited him to run with uh, with uh, JFK. Never imagining in his wildest dreams, of course, he'd have any interest. He wasn't even on their long list, much less their short. And was staggered when Johnson jumped on it. He threatened to expose that JFK had Addison's disease, wasn't expected to live a long, healthy life, that he'd had dalliances with beautiful women, some of whom were spies from East Germany, information provided to him by J. Edgar Hoover. He also said that if he were not on the ticket, that any legislative proposal sent down by the White House would be dead on arrival because as his, as a majority leader of the Senate, he'd block them. So Bobby and Jack, you know, tried to figure a way out, but couldn't. They were boxed in, so they finally had to accept Johnson as a running mate. Meanwhile, one of Lyndon's wealthy supporters, hearing that Lyndon was going to be on the ticket, burst into the Johnson suite, cursing and swearing that now he's going to help JFK become president. Bobby Baker took him into a bedroom and explained what they had in mind. He came out all smiles and said he thought that was an excellent plan. Bobby would later declare in public that JFK would not live out his term and that he would die a violent death, which, of course, was exactly what they had in mind. So, right. you know, Lyndon was the one guy, since he was going to succeed Jack, he could ensure that nobody would ever be punished for participating in the assassination. I've identified six of the assassins. It's like the different groups who were involved were putting up one of their own guys. One was a Dallas deputy sheriff. One was a Dallas policeman. One was an Air Force expert. One was a soldier of fortune type guy, CIA mob. Another was uh, Lyndon Johnson's personal hitman who murdered a dozen people for Lyndon, including one of his own sisters. I mean, one was an anti-Castro Cuban. In fact, George H.W. Bush was in the Dow Techs with this anti-Castro Cuban. And we mentioned some of those shooters, by the way. Yeah, Nestor Tony Escadro, who, who was the only one using an unsilenced weapon. A man looker, Carcano, fired three shots at such an unreliable weapon, even though it was a relatively easy shot. He had two misses. One hit a distant curbing and a chunk of the concrete injured the cheek of a bystander by the name of James Tag. Another missed Jack and hit the chrome above the windshield, creating a dent that fit perfectly the nose of a Mandlicker Cargano bullet. But the third, after the driver brought the limousine to a halt, hit him in the back of the head. That's when he slumped forward. Right, and we didn't even go over Lee Harvey Oswald, the man in the doorway. That's right. That's right. So we we now know, you know, didn't we talk about Larry Revere earlier? I believe so. 
Well, Larry Rivera has been done absolutely brilliant work confirming that Lee Oswald was indeed the man in the doorway. Let me talk about two different types of contributions Larry has made. He right. discovered uh, interviews, audio interviews with the four motorcycle escort officers who, who attended the presidential limo and their esc their supervisor, Stavis Ellis. They all confirmed the limo halt. They all confirmed what I've been describing about Hargis dismounting, running between um, Johnson motoring up. We've even found photographs where you can see the the indentations in the grassy knoll from the wheels of the Douglas Jackson's motorcycle when he rode up the grassy knoll. We found one newspaper that published a report about an officer riding up the grassy knoll in his motorbike. And uh, so Larry uncovered all that, revealed all this activity that had been going on by painstakingly transcribing the interviews, which was a very arduous task in the first place. But he's also very gifted at uh, the study of photographs and superposition. He's really become an expert. And we already knew that Lee was the man in the doorway based upon the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, the T-shirt. They actually forced Lee to take off the shirt he was wearing when he was arrested and, and photographed him just wearing the T-shirt so people would think about his resemblance to the man in the doorway. But because the only alternative that the government's proposed Billy Lovelady, a co-worker, right. said himself he couldn't imagine why they'd be confused because he was two to three inches shorter and 15 to 20 pounds heavier, had actually gone to the FBI at their request on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing the shirt he'd worn on that occasion, which was a red and white yeah, vertically it's like a plaid. short sleeve shirt. Yeah, it's a There's plaid no shirt. no resemblance at all to the long sleeve, richly textured shirt that was on the man in the doorway. Right. So we, we already knew it was Lee, but what Larry did was to find suitable photographs of both Billy Lovelady and Lee Oswald to feed in to the image of the man in the doorway. And when you do this with Lee, it fits exactly all the features, the the jaw, the outline, the cranium, the nose, the eyes, the brows, the ear, they all fit Lee Oswald exactly. When you feed in Billy Lovelady, it's wrong. The ears are too low. The jaw doesn't fit. The nose isn't right. I mean, it's clearly Lee and not Billy. So when we're talking about excluding one, and those are the only two candidates, You've got the deal done, but Larry also discovered that uh, Billy was standing beside Lee in this photograph from the Elchin Six, this very famous, where you see the motorcade in the foreground, the Secret Service men are looking around, this figure in the background is leaning out. You can see actually the window of the Dow Techs from which those three shots were fired by the anti-Castro Cuban being supervised by George H.W. Bush. You can see Lyndon's secret security car already has its door open. The Kennedy's detail acts as though they have no idea what's going on. Jack's right clutching his throat, the shot to the throat that passed through the windshield in route. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we knew it was Lee already, but Larry's confirmation has been simply brilliant. I mean, I was just terribly relieved when he got out of Puerto Rico safely and wound up in Florida where he was planning to move anyhow. And because he knew somebody who knew somebody, he was able to get on a flight and get out. Right. Wasn't Oswald's mother, didn't she say something about this as well? Oh, sure. Well, uh, uh, Marina, I mean, uh, uh, Marguerite, his mother, said that he was Marguerite, working for okay. the government. She knew he was working for the government. Actually, Judith Very, she married a man named Baker, so she found Judith Very Baker. She published a book called Me and Lee about their life together in New Orleans. 
which was thoroughly vetted by a fellow named Ed Haslam, who published a book entitled Dr. Mary's Monkey, because they were not only working with mice, but they moved up to primates, to monkeys, too, with this rapid-acting cancer. Uh, and he thoroughly vetted. He's from New Orleans. He vetted every aspect of her story, and it panned out. And Nigel Turner, who produced the Minukil Kennedy vetted her for that eighth episode, The Love Affair, the ninth, was a whole lot of evidence about the ratification meeting at the home of Clint Murkison and the role of Lyndon Johnson in the assassination of JFK, which, of course, was too much truth. So that, you know, people like Jack Volante and Bill Moyers, who'd been henchmen for for, for Lyndon, were... Right. Jack, Jack Valenti actually mm-hmm. married a secretary Lyndon had impregnated. He had these secretaries right in the Oval Office and... Ladybird once walked in. He made strict instructions thereafter. By the way, Jim, do, do you think the government will actually ever reveal what what truly went down that day? We we know we know ninety five percent of it. I mean, listen, I recently did a two hour overview. Anyone who wants to watch it, there are two places they can find it. Go to the Brian Rue R U H E Brian Rue Show. JFK, who is responsible and why? I'd go through the whole case, beginning to end, I don't know, 150 or, let me see, I'm actually looking at the slide set I use for that, 155 slides, okay? Well, you give me 155 slides in two hours, and I'll tell you what happened to JFK. <laughs> yes. And it was also published on the Gary King YouTube channel, uh, and I'm trying to recollect Gary uses a slightly different title, but you'll find it there. Right, okay. Yeah, I'm just curious if the government government will ever oh, hold government, up. Government, yeah, they just see they're 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 scared shitless that I we're going to so figure too. out that 9/11 was an inside job. They don't even want people to understand that that Sandy Hook was a two day FEMA drill, even though we have the manual. I even published the manual in the book. I saw that, yeah. So so that you know. Amazon.com banned the book within a month after I put it on sale on 22 October 2015. It was even produced by CreateSpace, which is a subsidiary of Amazon. Sold nearly 500 copies in the less than a month it was on sale, banned on 19 November. They use this claim community standards, you know, for everything nowadays. You put something on Facebook they don't like for a political reason. They say you're violating community standards, but it's just nebulous. No, oh, they took down our our interview, by the way. One of our uh, episodes, Jim, I got to put that back up there as soon as possible. I'm pretty sure it had to do with uh, Sandy Hook. Well, that's just stunning. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I have done a lot of recent work on Sandy Hook. Go to the Millennium Report and you'll read Sandy Hook Scam, Why the Mother's Ages Matter. It turns out that the 20 mothers of the 20 kids allegedly killed are 10 years older than they ought to be. The average age at first birth is uh, is 20, 26. They average 36. The improbability is so great that one calculation by Carl Herman said it was a 1.9.4 quadrillion to one that this would happen by chance. Another statistician calculated it 890 million to one. I mean, it's just, the, 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 you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I got the report the, here. What, what what you will discover if you check that out, as I say, this is uh, the Millennium Report, why the Sandy Hook scam, why the mother's ages matter. I'll give you a photograph to give you the idea. It's where you got a, a group of, oh, they're about six or eight kids and, and, and two older adults. And then they're 
there are four or five children in the foreground. And the children are about 10 years younger than the, than the olders. And you can identify the first child in the foreground is the, the, the first girl on the left. The second girl is the third. The, the third girl is the second. The, the boy with them is on the right. I mean, this is what they were doing. They were creating the Sandy Hook children out of photographs of other kids when they were younger. In other words, they were fictional characters. And we demonstrate that for the most famous by far of the children, Noah Posner. Uh, Kelly Watt, who is uh, quite a brilliant and insightful student of Sandy Hook, had over a hundred hours of conversation with Noah Posner, the man who claims to be Noah's father. Right. Told him he didn't believe a word he said, didn't believe he had a son, didn't believe he died. He inadvisedly sent her a copy of a death certificate that turned out to be a fabrication. It's the bottom half of a real death certificate, the top half of a fake, doesn't have a file number, has the wrong estimated time of death at 11 a.m. when the shooting was going on between 9.30 I put that right in the article. But more importantly, she noticed that Noah was supposed to have an older stepbrother by the name of Michael Vabner. And from looking at the photograph, she thought there was an awful striking resemblance between Noah and Michael Vabner. So I got a half a dozen of us involved in this, contributing in various ways. We found they had the same eyes. We found they had the same ears. We found they had the same general jaw. And I thought, this is perfect for Larry Rivera. So I got Larry involved in this. He created a GIF where you see Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner right there before your very eyes. It's the same person. Understood. And by the way, there's a film called Patriot's Day that came out last year that was about the Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, did you happen to see that film? Yeah, of course. I went to it out of obligation. It has this completely fantastic. They commit a couple of blunders. For one, they show Zoker's backpack, which was silver-colored backpack. They actually photoshopped them into the marathon bombing footage when they weren't there at all. They weren't even there. And they uh, they put the wrong backpack because the FBI investigation showed that the two backpacks that exploded were black nylon backpacks, one of which had a white square sewn on it. Maybe the other did, too. Uh, and we actually have footage. The case was cracked the night of the Boston Marathon bombing by the alternative media. It was these Kraft International personnel uh, who are wearing khaki trousers and, and uh, black jackets and black baseball caps with a skull insignia. We have photos of, of two of them approaching one of the locations. One's got a black nylon backpack with a white square on it. Bomb that explodes white, uh, black nylon with a white square. He's running away no longer with a black nylon with a white square. And they, neither of the right. brothers had a black nylon. So when I consulted with a retired professor of law, John Remington Graham about all the evidence we'd amassed about the Boston bombing. I asked him what was most striking to him, and he said that the backpacks James, don't match. James, I gotta, I gotta stop you there for a second. We are joined by another caller right now. Uh, caller, you are on the line. What's going on? Caller, speak up. Hey. There you go. What's hey. going on? Yes. Yo, what's up, man? What's up, man? How are you? Did you have a question? Uh, um, yeah, actually, I'll, I just want to say, uh, you know, uh, yeah, go ahead. You guys are rock, man. You guys are rock because this is like the best show ever. Well, I don't, I don't blame you for feeling that way, sir. Well, no, no. What I'm saying is that you know you guys have the best show ever. I mean, you 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 take on subjects, right? You take on, you know, I I just love you, man. You you rock. I love that. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your kind words, and so does Jim. 
Sure. Yeah. Thanks for calling. That was excellent. Yeah. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah. But, but get this, get this now, Michael. They have yes. a new, okay. In oh, the wait, Patriots hold on, state. hold on, hold on, Jim. Did you have anything else to add, caller? Oh, sure. Yeah. Caller? Yes. Did you have anything else to add, sir? Oh, you got another caller. Oh, we, we got another go caller. Ahead. I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. Go for it. It's okay. Hey, Jim, I think the one thing that you're missing about, I, uh, agree with you about the shooters, but the one shooter that you're missing is the shooter in the storm drain. He now was the one with the fatal headshot, and he escaped, and he showed up at the car dealership Whoa. being all muddied. Um, that's the one that you uh, totally missed on. Well, let me explain, because David Mandig, who is a Ph.D. in physics, who's the M.D. and the expert on the interpretation of x-rays, went to the storm drain. David climbed into the storm drain. The trajectory is wrong. The, the, the storm drain has home. changed over the let, years. Let, let me let let me answer your question. The shooter that's who showed what up you don't back realize, the, and that's what you're not totally talking about, people. You're, the storm drain has changed. So when you, that guy went down there, it was totally different. Uh, look, we were down there quite a few years ago. They have built up the asphalt. We know all of this. What, what do you think? Wait, guy, for God's sake, we were down there with the surveying equipment and everything else. We've done our homework on this. I'm explaining what we found. You, you, I'm sure you've never been down there and climbed into the storm drain, right? David climbed into the storm drain. The trajectory is wrong. The guy who showed up all muddy back at the, the car dealership. The trajectory is wrong Jack, because they changed the goddamn storm drain. Don't you understand? It's been years now. They change everything. They changed the goddamn sign. You think we're it not aware of that? I mean, you know, give me a break. The fact is the guy who showed up all muddy was Jack Lawrence. He was a former Air Force expert. He was shooting from inside the triple underpass. He fired the shot that went through the windshield that hit JFK in the throat. Now, Tom Wilson uh, believed there was a shooter in the storm drain, that the curbside mm -hmm. storm drain. We went there to check it out. Uh, but if the yeah. trajectory was wrong. The, 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 the shot that was fired that hit JFK in the right temple was fired from an above ground storm drain at the intersection of the triple underpass and the grassy and the picket fence by Frank Sturgis, who may have been the best shot in the world, uh, at the time. He was actually arrested by Jim Rostein, a New York uh, City a Gold Shield detective when he came who to New the York. Guy that, who is the guy that, who is the guy that showed up at the car dealership being all muddy because he was in the storm drain shooting? Who was that guy? What was his name? It was Jack Lawrence. Okay, Jack, that, that's escape. him. That's he the one who escape. shot Kennedy he in the head. His, he made his Jack Lawrence the is the one who shot the fatal headshot because Jack oh, Lawrence was in the storm drain, and he showed up at the car dealership being all muddied and nervous, and his employees were looking at him. He thinks he's an expert. I mean, I'm sorry. We've done it. We we went there. We checked it out. It's wrong. Okay, I have, an, I have another question. Um Ralph Sinkay talks about that Ruby is not the shooter of Oswald. What do you think about that? I think he's right. It turns out to be an FBI agent named uh, Bookout, James Bookout, who was a little shorter than Ruby. He was wearing different socks than Ruby was supposed to be. He had uh, hair uh, or, or he was clean shaven in the back of his head. Actually, Ralph did a presentation on InfoWars where Jerry Corsi was trying to set up a whole sequence where he was going to have Ralph first talking about the man in the doorway in terms of the height, weight, build, and clothing, and he, did, he where Ralph, because of his background as a chiropractor, made important 
contributions. He really got me to focus on the height, the weight, the build, the clothing, the shirt, the T-shirt to identify. And he was going to be followed up by Larry Rivera, you see, with the overhead. If it wasn't Ruby, there was all reporters surrounding there. Well, don't you think one goddamn reporter would say that wasn't Jack Ruby? Uh, look, Ralph lays it out how they, they took the guy and they really concealed him. They put him in a kind of an arm lock. They were really covering his identity. I'm telling you, maybe it's too subtle for you, but Ralph actually lays it out. Uh, he did it on InfoWars. So do you think I'm Oswald, did, so do you think they killed Oswald uh, in the ambulance? Oswald didn't die until he, 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 he Charles Crenshaw who was actually in trauma room one when they brought in JFK's moribund body, was responsible for his care and treatment two days later. Uh, Oswald, he thought, was going to recover. He got a phone call from Lyndon Johnson, believe it or not, directly to him. The secretary, the operator explained to him it was from the president. He was in a state of disbelief when he answered the phone and heard Lyndon Johnson's booming voice that he wanted a deathbed confession from the from the assassin. And, and, uh, Charles explained to him he didn't think that he was going to die, that he seemed to be doing okay and he thought he was going to survive. But Johnson said that there would be a man there waiting to take the deathbed confession. He got back there. There was a very sinister looking guy in a trench coat who I believe was, uh, David Sanchez Morales, by the way, waiting for a, a confession. But Oswald took a turn for the worst and died. There was no confession. I think he was shot. I believe he was shot in the in the in the uh, transfer. But they may have actually rehearsed it. You got to go back over this. This is very subtle and very new stuff. But I think Ralph actually is is right once again. So I'm sorry we disagree think, about it. But I you know I spend an awful uh, lot of time on this stuff. I interview these guys. We've had Ralph on about book out several times now. Go to Gary King YouTube channel. And look at the multiple interviews we've done about it. I'm convinced that, in fact, he's right. Go ahead, caller. Uh, do you think J.D. Tippett was shot by G. Gordon Liddy, or who do you think shot Tippett? Well, it appears to have been two men, actually. Uh, the best discussion about the Tippett shooting is in uh, Robert Grodin's The Search for Lee Harvey Oswald. The first officer on the scene found uh, shell casings that had been ejected, which, of course, they were automatic shell casings. He initialed them. They were of two different manufacturers, were two Remington Rand and two Western. He initialed them. Uh, since Oswald only had a revolver, they had to alter the evidence, uh, and they replaced them with a three of one make, one of the other, that now were revolver shell casings, and they no longer had the initial of the officer. Who shot Aquila, Tippett? Who shot Aquila, Tippett? Aquila Clemens, who was a witness. Just tell me the goddamn uh, name. Who shot Tippett? who said that two men had shot Tippett and neither of them looked like uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, Gordon Libby has claimed that he was a shooter of Tippett. I'm I'm not at all confident about that, but uh, Gordon Libby is a very interesting guy. I can't tell you who exactly shot Tippett. I can tell you who shot JFK, but I can't tell you who shot Tippett. Really, really it was two men. It was two men. It wasn't one. Paul McCartney died in 1966. Lee, Lee Oswald was already uh, in the uh, Texas theater, by the way, buying popcorn. You can read the interview of Butch Burroughs, who was selling him popcorn at about 10 minutes after one when Tippett was shot. Right. What, what was Don't that? Do you think that was Oswald's double? What was that? No, called? that was Lee in the in the Texas theater. I am suspicious about, uh, you know, people who impersonated Lee here and there. I do not buy the two Oswald theory of John Armstrong. I 
raised the objection a long time ago where he seemed to have found a whole chronology of a second Oswald by pointing out that the CIA creates a, a false history for uh, its operatives when they return to civilian life. And in order to prove there had been two Oswald, as he claimed, he'd actually have to prove there were three. You'd have to prove there was the original Lee and then the, or, or Harvey and then the original Harvey or Lee, however you call it, but also the, the phony dossier they put together for Lee to return to civilian life. He never did that or made the effort. Judith and I have looked at some of his claims and they don't hold up to minute dissection. So I do not believe that he's correct about that. On the other hand, there are multiple mm-hmm. occasions when someone claimed to be Lee Oswald or pretended to be Lee Oswald. The most famous, of course, is in Mexico City, where they had somebody who was pretending to be Lee Oswald. We have photographs of him. Uh, they have audio recordings. It was not Lee Oswald. It appears to be a fellow by the name of Walter Tabinsky, who's associated with a crime family in Toronto, who is, who, who is pretending to be Lee Oswald. J. Edgar Hoover put out a memorandum to all of his station chiefs that someone was in Mexico City impersonating Lee Oswald. My opinion is if that's all you knew about the assassination, that there had been someone in Mexico City impersonating Lee Oswald, you'd understand it was a conspiracy. The guy who went to the dealership to drive a car, drove it at high speed, talked about coming into money, that he'd buy a Russian car. That was obviously a fake. There was another on a shooting range firing at another guy's target when he complained. He was firing at his target. He apologized, said he thought he was shooting at Kennedy. These were obvious frauds set up to try to implicate Lee Oswald as being deranged. If you read uh, Judith's book, you find he actually he was a very highly intelligent guy. Uh, he appears to have had a gift for language um, and, and appears to have been, you know, it's very interesting. There's a standing order in the Marine Corps that uh, every Marine from the lowest private to the commandant of the Marine Corps has to qualify with a rifle every year. Lee did in 1957 as a recruit with a 212, which is a respectable score. I've scored 212 myself. But the following year, 58, he didn't even go to the rifle range, which is extraordinary and indicates to me that he was on a special assignment probably at the language schools run by the military at Monterey. In 59, when he went to the range, he barely qualified with a 191. I mean, the three categories for qualification are 190 to 210. That's uh that's a marksman, then to, to, you know, above 210 to 220 is a sharpshooter, and then 220 to 250 is an uh, expert. I mean, he, he was reported to get lots of Maggie's drawers, which, of course, is a flag they wave when you miss the target completely. He was a miserable shot. Here's another very interesting feature of his uh, military record. When he was in uh, Japan, he incurred venereal disease, gonorrhea, but it was entered in his record. Oh, good times. Uh, that was in the line of duty which means he was operating undercover, obviously, you know, cavorting with prostitutes or whomever in order to seek information at the bequest of the government. Very unusual. This was no ordinary Marine, this Lee Oswald. His favorite, by the way, when he was growing up, his favorite radio show was Herb Philbrick, I Led Three Lives, you know. Well, Lee Oswald actually did lead Ultimate that's lives. that's kind of funny. And by the way, I think the caller mentioned something about John Lennon. Is that so, caller? Yeah, I want to ask uh, Jim if he still believes that uh, McCartney was killed in 1966 and he was uh, uh, replaced by a better musician um, than Paul McCartney. That you did, you know, a better writer 
than Paul McCarthy. Is that what you're, is that what you're trying to tell us? Well, it's not what I'm trying to tell you. The fact of the matter is that uh, two Italian forensic scientists sought to disprove the hypothesis that Paul had died and been replaced, and they wound up refuting the theory they wanted to prove. They found the two different, they differed, they had different teeth, they had different skulls, they have different heights. They're not the same person. I mean, you can believe in science or not if you want to disregard it, but the forensic evidence shows Paul McCartney had bad teeth and a narrow palate. His replacement had good teeth and a normal palate. Paul had a very round face, oval face. His replacement, uh, uh, a round face is, his replacement is more oval. It's longer. Uh, the, the, they have different ears. The replacement, oddly enough, even wears a fake earpiece on occasion. I mean, have you ever heard of anyone wearing a fake earpiece? There are photographs of the two of them with the same st- source, namely Jane Asher, to whom Paul was engaged and Paul and Jane are about the same height, but but fall, F A U L for false Paul or fake Paul, is about four inches taller. And of course on the very cover of the Sergeant Pepper album, you find it's a burial for the Beatles, and you got a mound there with a left handed guitar, which was Paul's uh, Paul's uh, instrument. You see the the m- m- Toussaint wax image of the four Beatles in black there. And then the resplendent Sergeant Pepper's band. And, of course, while they were all about the same height, now Paul has become noticeably taller. We've documented this so many ways. You know, it's people who just haven't bothered to look at the evidence that contest it because they think it sounds far out. Well, a lot of things sound far out, you know. What that, that there were the multiple shooters at JFK to, may sound far out. That the, that the body was altered may sound far out, that they altered the x-rays may sound far out, that they revised the Zabruder film may sound far out. We've proven all these things. Uh, Nick Kohlerstrom has a book on the life and death of Paul McCartney. I've done several interviews with Nick. You can look at the forensic evidence. I have an article online entitled, uh, Why Ringo's Confession We Replace Paul Appears to Be Authentic where I include the forensic evidence, the key forensic evidence about the, the teeth, the palate, and, and so forth. So, you know. One more question, uh, caller. We, we definitely have to let Jim go here. Oh, no, that's all. I was just, um, that's all. Yeah, your, calls you are, your, your, questions are, your questions are fine. I just want you to understand we've taken them seriously. And in particular, I mean, when a guy like Tom Wilson, who's quite brilliant, is convinced that the, that shot was fired from inside the curbside sewer. You have to take it seriously. We went there. David climbed into the sewer. Now, this guy is the leading expert on the medical evidence and the death of JFK in the world. He's got a PhD in physics. He's an MD. He's board certified in radiation oncology. He is it. And the trajectory was wrong. So, you know, it's, it, it's about on, it's, it's more plausible than the theory that, uh, that, that William Greer, the driver, turned and shot JFK, which I explain, you know, uh, I mean, it would have been with a 45, and a lot of people think, you know, William Cooper proposed this initially. Right. That he turned and shot him using his left hand, and Secret Service agents are trained to fire with both hands. Uh, and then Do you think shot the driver the was in on it? I'm sorry? Do you think the driver and the, co- and the co-driver who was on the – do you think they were all in on it? Oh, of course, 100%. Are you kidding me? The only one who could have saved that's JFK why, that's once they turned that's why into the Dealey Plaza right? was William Greer. Of course they were in on it. Of course they were in on it. Emery Roberts, who was in charge of the detail, left two agents behind at Love Field. Those were the two who would have run beside 
or ridden on the presidential limo. They, they were baffled why they were left behind. They rearranged the order of the vehicles. They put Jack out front. He should have been in the middle. He should have been preceded by the mayor, the vice president. They canceled the flatbed truck that the, the cameraman would have been on to film this event, major political event. They cut the motorcycle escort down to four and told him not to ride ahead of the rear wheels. They didn't weld the manhole covers. They didn't cover the open windows. I mean, look. If, if, if Nigel Turner is putting me on to talk about 15 indications of Secret Service complicity, there are 15 indications even more. Roy Kellerman, who is the agent in charge, by the way, sitting in the passenger seat, actually gathered the autopsy x-rays, which had been, uh, you know, exposed and developed, and the autopsy photographs exposed but not developed, uh, so that even the physicians conducting the, you know, writing up their autopsy report didn't have access to them, and the next time they turn up, they've been altered. So, you know. Yeah, the Secret Service played a key role in this whole thing. There's a completely brilliant book about it, by the way, by Noel Twyman entitled Bloody Treason, where it was published on Bloody Treason, already published in 1997, where he figures out that the perfect conspiracy would have involved uh, Lyndon Johnson plus the Secret Service plus the FBI plus the Joint Chiefs plus the CIA coming together. I mean, it's a completely brilliant book, and it has withstood, you know, all the evidence we've put together since substantiates what Noel Twyman laid out so brilliantly in Bloody Treason in 1997. You're good with that caller. Thank you, guys. All Thank right. you, Jim. Good good call. Good call. Yeah, thanks Thank for calling you. in, and make sure to call in after the break. I'd love to talk to you again. And there he goes. And, uh, James, I, I must say, it's been a wonderful evening here. Another fantastic episode in the books. Yeah, do we have any loose ends we need to tie up, Michael? You can uh, think of them. I don't know. I, I think we kind <clears> of <throat> – I think we ran through everything here tonight, and I'm actually <laughs> I'm happy about that. I'm, uh, there's well, still – yeah. There's so much out there. There's a know, lot. Take, take, uh, I also, by the way, have a two-hour overview about 9-11, also on the Brian Rue, R-U-H-E show, entitled 9-11, Who Is Responsible and Why? So those who – plus, of course, I have brand-new books on JFK and 9-11 that are available now at Moonrock Books. Each has, like, 15 contributors. So if you want to know where you can learn more about any of these, I have, you know – I, I I thrive on collaborative research. One of my strengths is I know what I do not know. Uh, and I bring in experts who are competent in areas where I am not, hence a world authority on the human brain, which I am not, uh, who is also an authority on wound ballistics, which I am not, a guy's an expert in the interpretation of x-rays, which I am not, a man who was present when JFK was brought in and two days later responsible for the care and treatment of his alleged assassin, which I am not a legendary photo and film analyst, which I am not, another Ph.D., expertise in, in, in electromagnetics and the properties of light images of moving uh, objects, which I am not. I mean, uh, 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 I, I don't pretend to know more personally. Right. What I'm very good at right. is synthesizing evidence and presenting it in a systematic, coherent fashion. That's where I excel. So that probably my greatest strength is for any of these cases, because I've dealt with the experts and done my own research so thoroughly that I am in a position to give a a very uh, compact uh, uh, summaries of the key evidence and explain how it relates to various alternative hypotheses. Just as I've explained how, you know, once you know the, the x-rays were altered, once you know the Secret Service set him up, once you know the Zapruder film was 
massively revised. You can eliminate that it was done by the mob, although the mob could have put up a shooter. They can, it cannot have been a mob op. That the KGB can't have done it, that Castro could not have done it, even though an anti-Castro guy was one of the shooters. And the key guy, since all the other weapons were silenced, it, it was his firing three shots with an unsilenced weapon that created the acoustical impression that only three shots had been fired. So anyway, Michael, I think right. you're a great host. I really enjoy uh, being on with you, and uh, I appreciate all of the above. Very nice. Once again, it's been an honor and privilege to have you on the program. You have been much more important than just a, a guest here on the show. That's why you're an affiliate. Well, I appreciate it all, Michael. I think you do a great job. And uh, I agree with a caller who likes the fact that you're willing to deal with such a broad range of issues and, and take on, you know, the controversial which are the only ones worth discussing? If it's not complex and controversial, why bother? Exactly. If it's if it's simple enough, we can all figure it out, and then we don't need to talk about it. Right. Right. So you know that's that's where I excel, bringing together experts on complex, controversial issues that have political significance. Yeah, and you've done a damn good job, and uh, um, I'm thinking perhaps I'm going to have to bring you on when I bring a John Lear to the program. Um, oh, I'm a huge fan of John Lear. Would, like, would you like to do an interview with oh, me and yeah, John? Oh, yeah, I'd be honored. I think John Lear is fantastic. Uh, there's a wonderful affidavit he did about 9-11 in relation to a lawsuit, which, of course, was quashed. There's a, a judge by the name of Hillerstein who bottles up any 9-11 cases to make sure they don't go forward. And you nice. can uh, find it if you go to the the 9-11, the Scholars for 9-11 Truth Discussion Forum. It's at 911scholars.ning, N-I-N-G dot com. And if you go there to 911scholars.ning, N-I-N-G dot com, you can enter John Lear affidavit, and you'll see John Lear explaining why it was impossible for a Boeing 767 at that altitude to have flown as fast as the video show or to have entered the buildings, which was the point, of course, that even Donald Trump was making that that very day to Channel 9 in New York City. Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff, but perhaps, um, yeah, you know, it, it would be a great idea to get you in here with, with Mr. Uh, Lear. Well, I'm a huge fan of John Lear. Yeah. I, I've interviewed him before. He's wonderful. I, yeah. I, I, he's our nation's most distinguished pilot. He, I think he still owns like 15 international speed records. I think so, uh, he yeah. Qual- he's qualified in every area of automobile, uh, of uh, aircraft maintenance, flight procedures, but also the mechanics, the mechanics. He knows it all. Right. So I'll, I'll definitely get in touch with you very soon about the details of all of that. Well, I'd, be very, I'd be very pleased. He, he's wonderful. It would be terrific on, on 9-11 to have John on. That yeah. would be terrific. I was supposed to interview him uh, maybe a day before 9-11, but that sort of fell through. Um, wow, how interesting. Yeah. Instead, he's, I, had so I, much, yeah. He, he's had so much of such great importance to say about 9-11. I think that's just terrific. Instead, uh, I had Richard Gage fill in his place, which is another great um, researcher in his own right. So, who, who do you have in his place? Oh, uh, uh, Richard Gage. Well, you see, I have differences with architects and engineers, which he heads, because they won't talk about who was responsible and why. Right, and right. their fixation with nanothermite is indefensible because the thermite nanothermite <laughs> does not have the explosive right. capacity to have blown apart any any building. 
In fact, Kevin Ryan was embarrassed when a judge during the, the hearings they had uh, in, in Boston, as I recall, asked, had, had nanothermite ever been used to destroy a building? And he had to admit sheepishly, no, it never had. So one of their associates, Niels Herrett, estimated the quantity of nanothermite that would have been required and it was on the order of 29,000 tons of nanothermite would have been required for each tower. I mean, it's a fantasy. Jesus. Uh, yeah, we could lot. go into that on some occasion All other right. than tonight, but you know, awesome. it's that, it's that bad, Michael. It's that bad. Well, we'll get yeah, into just to, it. Just to be specific. See, I published three articles here again. I'm not a chemical engineer, but I invited a chemical engineer to collaborate with me on research on nanothermite. His name is T. Mark Hightower. And we published three articles about nanothermite. Now, it turns out it's a law of material science that for an explosive to destroy a material, it has to have a detonation velocity equal to or greater than the speed of sound in that material. Well, the speed of sound in concrete is 3,200 meters per second in steel, 6,100 meters per second. But the highest detonation velocity attributed to nanothermite is only 895 meters per second, meaning you can't get there from there. It can't be done. Right. Yes. So, And we published three articles, and they still tout nanothermite. And they say, well, it (laughs) could have been combined with something else to make it explosive. And I say, well, that's also true of toothpaste. So what was it that was combined with nanothermite to blow these buildings apart? They have sucked up the, all the money from the public because they're so prominent. Richard Gage flies first class everywhere. He has very elaborate contracts. Am I going to have and, to bring in Richard Gage so you can talk to him, Jim? Uh, I, I would be very surprised if he would show up. <clears throat> well, I'll see if I could get him on the line once we are if you talking. Wanna, yeah, if to you me, wanna, me, you, you wanna, and my, yeah, I'll, I'll if ask you him. Have, mm-hmm. If Go you want to, if you want to have my distilled thoughts on Richard Gage, check out an article entitled. Uh, on the C-SPAN, Richard Gage leaves 9-11 truth in a time warp. Okay, on C-SPAN, yeah. Richard Gage leaves 9-11 truth in a time warp. Yeah, look that up right now. But yeah, um, do it. once me and you are on with John Lear, I'll see if perhaps Mr. Richard Gage will like to be involved well, in this conversation. Doesn't to, he doesn't want to talk about the planes either, see? Well, you're not going to get Gage to come on. He's we'll certainly see. not going to want to come on with me. Because oh, we'll I'll... see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to try. I'm going to try hard, Jim. I'm going to see if well, I can pull it off. Last caller, you know, initially being a bit intense in his belief about the shot being fired yeah, from the curb. You're going to get that. You're going to get some people that no, no, are. No, 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 yeah. Michael. Michael, right. let me finish. Oh, go ahead. He, I thought he turned out to have a series of very reasonable questions. Yeah, I was very did. pleased to answer them. Yeah. I, I, I appreciated his thoughtful response to what I was explaining. So, No, he Good. was receptive, Good. right? Good call. Right. So, Jim, again, honor and privilege to have you on the program, and I will definitely get back in contact with you in a very short time. Sure. You let me know, Michael. No, no doubt. All right, Jim. Mahalo. Thanks. Take care. And that was James Fetzer, or he likes to be called Jim. So that was Jim Fetzer, ladies and gentlemen. Great, great guest and a great calls there. I really do appreciate all of you out there who called or try to call in. Uh, please remember, if you want to call in, that number is 760-332-8920. One more time, 760-332-8920. That number should work, or if you want to call in, the other number, that's 760 332 
8724. However, I would advise you not to call that number. Definitely dial into 760-332-8920. Now I'm looking at the, t- at the, the time here. My goodness, it's almost 1030. That is a good sign that it is that time to go on a little break, go to the fridge, get some water, or get some more alcohol, whatever it is you do, whatever gimmick you like to impose. Please feel free to do so. Throw those beer bottles in the air or those pipes in the air. It's time for a break. I'll be right back. Hopefully, some of you will have the balls to call in. Stay tuned. Now, I can't read it. There's no There's no words on it. Okay. Ready? Sure. There's yeah. no words there to play us out. What does that mean? To play us out. Sting is going to do what is, for credits. I don't know what that means to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it. In five, four. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a. I can't do it. Okay. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Right. Fucking thing sucks. Five, four, three. That's tomorrow and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. And welcome back to the program. Often imitated but never duplicated. This is Michael Deacon and we are indeed live right now on the TuneIn radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find the 24-7 network. Or go to michaeldeacon.com and join myself and others just like you. In the chat room right now, guten Morgen to the fellow German listeners out there. Of course, they are here with us, listening in. That's tremendous. Good times. If you want to call in, please feel free to do so now. That number is 760-332-8920. One more time, 760-332-8920. I would advise not to use the other number, so... 760-332-8920. There you go. Use that number. It seems like a few people ran away once Mr. Fetzer got going here. It angered some of you out there, I guess. And yeah, I'm actually drinking a beer right now. I got a private message asking. I'm still celebrating. It's been a good time, a good year. It hasn't been a complete year yet. However, this has been a very successful run. I'm drinking something, by the way, called Organic IPA India Pale Ale by something called, or a company called Green Fog Brewing Company. I've never heard of this uh, company before. I can't really tell you much about it, to be honest. It, it's okay. It doesn't taste that bad. Just took a big uh, drink there. Good stuff. Oh, my God. It's flowing everywhere now. Oh, I made a mess. Beer is spilling all over the place. Oh, no. All over my keyboard. It's going to get even stickier now. Holy shit, what happened? That was terrible. All kinds of beer spilled all over the place. That was not a good idea. Now I'm going to take a drink for that. Ah, good stuff. It really is. It's so good once it hits that hits your tongue there. My goodness. Now, I know I talked a lot about the Artie and Anthony show. I referenced it many times here, and I had talked about how this whole exchange with Chris Hansen and Artie Lang was hysterical. Probably the funniest interview I have ever heard in a really long time. I have some audio of that. 
I thought I'll play some of that for you before I talk about Kathy Griffin here. Let's run with the audio. We need to know that, you know, people are people. Now, I want to know, uh, Chris, uh, 16 years ago today, uh, yeah. where, where were you? What were you? You, do, you were uh, obviously involved. I was fucking in a kid. Oh, my God. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. That's not comedy. Um, That's a well, they're laughing. Why would you say that? Those heroes are laughing. They're as weird as the rest of you. They're heroes. If you could only see Chris Hansen's face in this interview, by the way, he is just repulsed and disgusted with, with one Artie Lang. Let's go back to the audio. Hansen versus Predator. It's not. I risk my life protecting children. Artie. He's protecting. Everyone knows it's a joke. Look at the two of us. I got about a year. (laughs) Why do you wear your hat backwards, by the way? Oh, because I'm a, I'm a frontwards kind of a guy. Yeah, well. No, I, I, why, is that a signal or something? I'm fucking a kid? Pretty much. <laughs> no. It's why do you not, that? He, he, is, he is dedicated uh, uh, to life. show. This is an and, and part of his life to making sure children are oh, safe. Well, and, my friend oh, is Jared from Subway. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And some of us got railroaded. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, what Jared did was wrong, but a lot of people lost weight. <laughs> Well, you're weighing it out. You're weighing the... Uh, I am the new Jared, by the way. So I was in a, a celebrity basketball tournament one time years ago. Were you the ref? No, I was playing. Celebrity. Tall, he's a tall man. All right, I'll stop the audio there. My goodness, that was hilarious. I had to hit the mute button there, or else you would hear me laughing out of control. My goodness, yes. Great times. You could, of course, catch all of that at compoundmedia.com. Uh, I think you could actually find that on YouTube, matter of fact. However, it's worth it. I would definitely uh, pay just for that interview alone. It was that damn funny. I'm so glad I got to play that for you. Now, moving forward here, uh, another crazy person in the media once again, Kathy Griffin. My goodness. I'm sure many of you had heard of the whole exchange that I believe the neighbor was caught uh, calling her all, all sorts of things. I think he called her a bald dyke. And a cunt. Yeah, he called her a cunt. This was a Jeffrey Mesger. He, of course, is the CEO and a chairman of KB Home, a publicly traded company since 2006 and has uh, worked there since 1993. Uh, Mesger and his wife Sandra live in this gated community next to Griffin and her longtime boyfriend, Randy Bick. Let's go to the audio. Ball dyke. basically echoed what most already thought of uh, Kathy Griffin. She kind of is cunty. Just a little bit. Go fuck yourself. 
Ooh, I love that. Go fuck yourself. I have to thank him personally for providing me some uh, sound drops. You fucking cunt. <laughs> oh no. Bring it on, you bitch. Oh, that's my favorite one. I can't wait to drop that one on people when they call in. Bring it on, you bitch. Oh, that's so funny. So, yes, uh, terrible. Candy, uh, Candy, Kathy Griffin, my goodness. We already knew she was this, uh, talentless hack. She basically looks like Andy Dick with makeup on. It's really hideous. That kind of reminds me again of a one Mark Dice. I just can't stand Mark Dice for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. I feel he should probably come out of the closet already. It's, uh... Almost 2018. That's just my uh, personal opinion, by the way. I know it's not a very popular opinion. I know probably some of you out there actually like Mark uh, Dice. Ew. Just gross. Totally gross. And, of course, I got uh, another private message here asking about Alex Jones. And, uh, you know, I could spend all night talking about that, but I, I really don't want to get into that. I would just say the whole thing that he set up with um the the whole coffee thing that was just silly really that that was a setup he set that up himself in my personal opinion that thing looks staged and that's just something that I personally would never do I believe even the Seattle police department was making fun of him as well that should tell you everything right there Jesus. And of course, we have Anthony Weiner out there. My goodness. Uh, another terrible human being. I'm glad he's going down, but of course, he's not doing much time. From what I remembered, it's uh, it's kind of sad. Nothing, of course, like that other individual out there in France sleeping with that 11-year-old. Jesus. Terrible stuff, ladies and gentlemen. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Hmm. It's already 11.06. I should probably start wrapping up here. I, I had no idea it was that late. No clue it was that late. And, yeah, I'm still getting private messages, of course, about the whole NFL players taking a knee. I really didn't think I'd trigger some of you out there about that. Do you guys really care that much about that? I don't really care about the NFL. I hope it goes down, to be honest with you. Do I have to remind you about the whole breast cancer charity thing? The NFL, of course, was taking most of that cash home. That money hardly reached the hands who needed it. Come on. And of course, let's not get into the fact that the NFL actually charges the military to get airtime on TV there. We won't have to get into any of that. I mean, that's all terrible stuff, really. But yes, it's um, that reminds me. I mentioned that NFL players will either go bankrupt or face some sort of financial financial stress within two years of retirement. That's a 70%. Yeah, that seemed to bother people out there. It's a high number, but it's, um, allegedly it's a, it's a fact. And of course the NBA is at 60% of its players going bankrupt within five years after leaving the sport. Plenty of articles with alleged empirical evidence proving it. I'm not exactly sure myself, but that's a crazy statistic if true. Rather disturbing one if true. Oh, no. More messages, yes. I really did like uh, tonight's show. It's been fun. Very fun. Uh, James Fetzer had a great time here tonight. I, I saw that. He sent me a message here earlier. Really enjoying the show. I could tell. 
I want to thank the callers out there. You guys did a great job, by the way. And, of course, if that number is busy, the 8724 number, please remember there is that 760-332-8920 number. Always ready to go. Never forget that. And, of course, there is that issue with um another YouTuber out there. I believe he subscribes to this show. He's a Rush Limbaugh supporter. I actually caught this individual uploading or re-uploading uh, my YouTube videos onto his channel. Yeah, I really hate Rush Limbaugh, by the way. That was not a good move for you, my friend. I wish it was not like this, but I'm glad you support the program. But please do not re-upload this show onto your channel. That That doesn't make me very happy. If you like the show, please direct people to michaeldeacon.com or to the YouTube channel. Now that I would really appreciate. And of course, uh, for those who have been looking at Twitter or the Facebook page, you will see that there's a t-shirt design there. If you look carefully, I've been experiencing, uh, well, experimenting rather, and of course experiencing these new logos that are coming out, uh, we're throwing around different designs out there, trying to see which one actually works. Of course, I mentioned earlier during the interview with one uh, James Fetzer about Ole, who did not like the new logo. He was actually bothered by it. I was quite surprised. The all-seen eye. Uh, is it really that bad, folks? Is, does it scare you? Does it really scare you that much? I thought it was a good design. Hmm. Well, I guess not everyone likes it. That's a little too bad, though. It makes a it makes for a great shirt, I thought, in my personal opinion. Oh, well. We'll find out, though. We'll be back uh, next week, folks. I'm going to wrap it up here. I don't want to take too much of your time. And, of course, if you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind, every Saturday night is when I do this uh, little shindig here. That's at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't forget, this is a call-in show, and I would love to talk to all of you out there whenever you have uh, the desire to call in. And if you are listening to this, always remember, always remember, rather, that you can catch that replay here on the TuneIn app. I have to beat you over the head with that. There's many new listeners out there who drop in at random times, so i got to repeat myself every now and then. And of course, if you enjoy this program and want to help keep this uh, program expanding, go to michaeldeacon.com, and on the right-hand side of the page, you'll see a donate button. Please remember, this program completely depends on its listeners. That means you right there, sitting down in that chair. Be a friend and share the show. I would definitely appreciate that. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Sweating in the hardest part out. I'm not that way. I'm a Christian. Not about it. Yeah. Not about it. You mentioned the Illuminati, and we're not going to be like that. But the Illuminati certainly isn't part of the whole thing. The top members of the Illuminati are open Christians. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were given me like bullshit they like, can just see it it's clear <laughs> how appropriate I wish I could be in that ring with Hogan right now
It's crazy. I had no idea this shit existed before 726. Oh, a Grammy. I like Grammy. Impossible. Shit, a half a pound of weed to move mountains. You know what it is. All right, see you down at the rink, man. 